Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We've got a awesome, really tight pack show for you tonight. We're going to try to fit as much into next hour, hour and a half as we possibly can. I'm Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter. Joined as always by my co-host, Johnny's Football. And John, we're uh, getting really close to the NFL draft and end to all of this whole Kyler Mania thing. Fortunately for a lot of you fans tuning in, we're actually going to be focusing in a different direction on tonight. We're going to be focusing on a few recent signings as well as getting into the defensive side of the ball. We'll have maybe a little bit of the kind of recent news of that we're hearing with Kyler and a lot of the other stuff there at the end of the podcast. So if, if you're burned out and sick, I know plenty of people are, we'll at least give you fair warning for that. But uh, before we jump into everything, John, how are you doing overall tonight? I'm doing well, Blake. We are, as, as Dr. Strange would say, we're in the end game now, two weeks out. <laughs> Of the NFL draft, uh, and you can count me as one of those people who is tired of the Kyler Murray talk and speculation at this point. You just would wish the team would rip the Band-Aid off, but here we are on April 10th, and there is still no resolution with this, although you and I are firmly in the camp that they are going to take Kyler Murray and inevitably trade Josh Rosen, and now I think the speculation more so is on the side of what do they get for Rosen? At what point do they move him? But we've got uh, plenty of other things to discuss on top of that, including uh, a key re-signing. What we believe this week uh, was a move that um, they had to do at this point, especially with, you would think, Quinlan Williams no longer in the fold, that being bringing back defensive tackle Rodney Gunter, a former fourth-round pick, uh, 2015. that really kind of had his breakout season last year for the Cardinals with four-and-a-half sacks. Of course, that coming in Steve Wilkes' 4-3 defense. And Blake, why do you think the Cardinals were able to get this done at this point? I think the easiest way is you kind of look at the best way you can look at this was it's very similar to a lot of players on the one-year deal like Tyron Matthew last year where he ended up taking less on the open market with the Houston Texans than the Cardinals were offering to restructure his contract for each year. I think Gunter didn't see what he liked in the open market. He was believing he'd get paid probably, uh, I think maybe about somewhere between six to nine million dollars a year. And that just was not the market that was out there probably because of, you know, outside of the one last year of production, he finished second on the team with four and a half sacks, was probably, you know, their best defensive lineman last year, at least uh, outside of, you know, Corey Peters essentially being the kind of stalwart rock in the middle of the defense, despite his age of 32 years old last year. I think that what Gunter essentially is doing is, all right, I'll come back. I'll have a new year. It's going to be a different style of defense, but it still does have a lot of, uh, versatility or Steve Wilkes defense essentially is you had one role one assignment one gap was a lot of how his defense ran Gunter kind of had the one assignment of hey you're going to have Peters hold you're going to be the guy who's going to penetrate and get after that so if guys got blown out of their gaps if guys got 
uh, you know, beaten in their one-on-one -on -one matchups. It just became a nightmare to have to resolve. So that's where I think by Gunter coming back, and we've already seen him play nose tackle. We've seen him play in a 4-3. If he can show up in a 3-4 and with how the front is be a rotational player, he might get that you know, big size contract next year. Um, it would be great if that would come from the Cardinals. They'll have obviously some more cap space and cap room uh, next year, considering that they're making up for a lot of their 2018 mistakes. But it would be great, John, because I think some have mentioned this, but outside of David Johnson and Tyron Matthew, there hasn't been a Steve Kahn draft pick who's made it to kind of that second big contract with a multi-year deal. It would be great if Gunter can come back, you know, put in a lot of, you know, the work and effort to, you know, show that he's going to be able to deserve that. I think that he does have that within him and then be able to get that multi-year deal, become that third player to get that effort. And uh, he's honestly a, a really you know, strong guy, high character. And I think it's a ultimately necessary signing for the Cardinals, because at this point you look at the rest of the market, there's not a guy who could come in off the market and fill and be as reliable as you knew that Gunter was going to be for the Cards. Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The Cardinals would like to reward Rodney Gunter with a big-time contract, presumably next offseason, if they uh, expect him to have the season they hope. Uh, I think that kind of the flip side is I think a lot of pundits and, and Cardinal fans just expected Gunter to get a big multi-year contract this, right. this offseason, two, three, four years, maybe not with a ton of guaranteed money, but certainly not waiting until the early portion of May to settle on a one-year deal. This is a, it's a young man who um, came from a small school but has since ascended in, from, a, from a role player into you know, a quality defensive lineman yeah. at 20, 27 years old. He should be entering the prime phase of his career. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I don't think we can you know, overstate how much of a learning curve he had coming from Delaware State. I remember that press conference with Arians and Kime, Kime <laughs> traded up for Gunter. You know, of course, many of us didn't know who he was, but the praise that he gave him that day, you would have thought he was a, a day two pick or even a late first rounder. I mean, they expected him mm -hmm. to be a big time contributor for them, and it, it took a little longer than expected. Um, and, and he was a starter I, his first year. Yeah, absolutely. He got quality. He got quality reps, but he did not show an ability to get upfield and rush the passer until this year at four and a half sacks this year, which is more than he had in his entire career leading up to this point in his three seasons combined. So you hope he continues to build on that. The Cardinals at the end of the day need more from their individual players that they draft and they need to be able to parlay some of these, some of these rookie contracts into future deals. Um, the problem is, and this is on Steve Kime, there just haven't been enough to give out, right? Mm -hmm. You could have made an argument, I think, this time last year, Dayon Buchanan, I, I was beating that drum, but clearly the two teams had you know opposite ideas. I think Marcus Golden was somebody who the team would have probably preferred to bring back um, on a cheaper deal than he eventually got. But you know, outside of those two individuals that immediately jump out, Blake, you, you mentioned the other two, Tyron, David Johnson, uh, you know, all pro players at their position win healthy and, and at their best, but then there's too many Robert Kimdichis or there's too many um, Hassan Reddicks. There's too many of these first rounders like Jonathan Cooper who don't pan out like DJ Humphreys, Kevin Minter, Troy Nicholas. I mean, I, I, you could make a list of all of these disappointing players that for whatever reason, either based on production, injury, whatever, they just haven't been able to produce enough to warn a second contract. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you let a player hit free agency and, and they're not even 
receiving marginal interest, what does that say about your ability to draft and develop? And we saw last year, the Cardinals, people keep asking me on Twitter, what do the Cardinals need to improve? How could they be a playoff team soon? They just need better players. They don't have it. It sounds cliche to say, and we can, and we can drive it back to the quarterback most every time. And I know they only averaged 13 points per game last season. They do not have enough good players. That sounds so cliche and amateur to, to reference, but they need to hit on more draft picks. They need to hit on more free agents. What Kime did in his early tenure with the Cardinals is he was missing a lot of draft picks, but he was hitting on a lot of his free agents. Now he's doing neither. He had a horrific offseason last year, specifically in free agency, and he hasn't had a first-rounder. We've talked about it at nauseum. That's received a second contract. So we would hope that, that Rodney Gunter is the, right, the step in the right direction for a team that needs to build off of players like this, players – you know, like David Johnson, who received a second contract. You know, maybe Mason Cole turns into one of those players. Christian Kirk certainly looks like a keeper and somebody you want to extend down the line. You know, but outside of a couple guys like that, you really don't have any young building blocks, and that's why you find yourself with the first overall pick, unfortunately. Yeah, like some of the early ones, a lot of times injury was one of the things I think that you look at with, especially with – when you're talking about Tyron, when you're talking about with uh, a guy like Marcus Golden, even with the ACL tear, um, Gunter hasn't missed a game in four years. Like that's been one of the biggest things as far as one of the strengths. And I think that would be one of the other reasons why it'd be great to see him get rewarded. Um, and I'd love to touch a little bit also on Tremaine Brock was a guy who, uh, just before we get into the draft talk, this is an interesting signing because in some cases, like you're talking about, John, it's both kind using the one year in small deals to fill a need, being able to find a veteran. He's about 30 or so years old. His best football days you know, seem to be behind him, but he did end up being a solid player for the Broncos, at least overall. He'll probably be kind of the leader for slot corner, especially because his competition with, um, I believe right now there's Brandon Williams, obviously, is one. And then there's the other corner who was brought in at least as well with the um, – uh, I believe it's David Emerson. I it feels almost like when you're talking about John, like it's a rotating window after Patrick Peterson and this Buddha Baker moving to free safety. I feel like that this is a spot where the, the Cardinals, like you're saying, is they've got so many different needs and areas to fill. It's definitely a multi-year fix. This seems like it's kind of almost a, a band-aid at the position again. Whereas guy like Gunter is a guy who you're like, hey, this isn't just a band-aid at the position. This is like we've bandaged up everything is like, you know, it's it has the potential to like be healing now and be able to like have that wound might be clotting if he's one of those guys who can be one of those long-term performers you can bring back after, you know, to that large deal. But what do you think as far as the approach that Kime has taken with, you know, some of the players on defense in you know, finding a long-term guy like Hicks, but ultimately a lot of these guys are essentially going to be transitional players for the next part of it for that one. What, what are your thoughts on some of that and about signing a guy like Brock versus, you know, trying to go in, whether it's maybe not even overpay, but pursuing some of the other options out there that are either on the market or even when we get into it in the draft? Well, you know me, Blake. I think that sometimes, not all the time, but investing quality draft picks specifically high at cornerback when you have a player like Patrick Peterson to shadow the number one corner investing too much in your back seven can be troublesome especially when you're so weak at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage I think that is I think sometimes corner can be as of a luxury position in today's NFL with all the rule changes pointed to the offense as receiver can 
And so I like this approach. I didn't want to see them go crazy uh, at corner. I liked the signing of Robert Alford. I think it's a manageable contract. I like Tremaine Brock on a one-year deal. Again, these are guys, savvy vets who played the position for a long time. Are they going to set the world on fire? No, but this is a Cardinal team that's in transition. They don't need to be handing out huge contracts, especially to corner. I, you know, I referenced the team in 2013, mm-hmm. but a lot of us thought it would be a transition year. And I'm, I'm sure the front office did to some degree as well. But you think about the corners that were on that team, starting for that team, like Brian McCann, mm-hmm. you know, Javier Arenas played corner for the Cardinals that year. So one of their biggest contributors was Jeremiah Bell, who was like 35 years old playing free safety, <laughs> right. free and strong safety. And did a pretty decent job. Antoine Kaysen was on that team. Antonio Cromartie the next year, one-year contracts at corner. The Cardinals have had really successful teams, seasons, and defenses when they haven't put such a priority on specific entities in their secondary. I think that they're probably one of the most talented areas of of this team maybe the most, is their secondary. When you talk about yeah. Peterson and DJ Swearinger, you just mentioned Buda Baker. Those three, at, at any point, could be a Pro Bowl player next year. And that, that I don't think would surprise any of us. Um, I think there's still uh, a, a decent chance that they could be bring back Trey Boston if the price is right for some quality <laughs> depth. So he could, he could settle for another June contract. I think that the supply and demand with secondary players, unless like, like you're Patrick Peterson and you're at the top of the food chain, right, for your specific position, you're a blue chipper, you're the, the top 1%, you're, you're not getting paid anymore. That doesn't happen, yep. especially if you're a safety. You know who does get paid? Disruptive, defensive ends, defensive tackles, edge rushers. We never see mm-hmm. quality offensive linemen hit free agency. And those are the positions. Yeah, without having to pay them like the Raiders just did. Ab- ab- absolutely. <laughs> and though, that's why Khalil Mack goes for two firsts. And then that's why he gets hundreds, you know, $100 million or whatever his contract was. That's where the Cardinals need to devote a lot of their resources. And I think that's probably – it combines and parlays with the frustration we have with the Murray situation. It's just like you're going to pass on two blue-chip franchise-caliber players at defensive end and defensive tackle – for another quarterback and I get it and I've come to grips with it but I think the Cardinals need to invest obviously heavily on interior offensive line in this draft I think if the if the price is right look at a defensive tackle because the depth sure isn't there I I like the starting three on paper none of them are going to set the world on fire at least in year one and so you know this is a process this is a full-blown rebuild but I have no problem at all throwing out one-year deals at, at experienced cornerbacks yeah, I know. Definitely. the uh, You kind of hit the nail on the head also with talking about the cornerback as a luxury. Some of it, I think, when you look at the best corners and the best kind of, you know, teams last year with their secondaries, it's almost kind of a one-for-one. One. Each of them had at least a very strong either scheme or pass rush in front of them, like the Bears. You always talk about the Patriots with Trey Flowers. Chargers obviously having, um, you know, with that one-two punch, at least of having Bosa on one side, Melvin Ingram on the other. I think that's where the Cardinals, essentially, it's a spot of if you can get enough pressure on the quarterback that defensive backs can make plays, they work in hand-in-hand. I think that's where the Cardinals, uh, last year, they struggled especially because they did not have the depth at cornerback that they needed to they did not get anywhere up front as far as with being able to get not just the amount of pressure that was there there'd be so many different times I know that uh, you just saw that that the uh, teams would just like wait wait it's like okay and then they're double teaming Chandler Jones no one's really getting there and there's a check down linebacker misses a tackle completion it's, it was just one of those similar type of 
issues that we had with the team. So speaking of defensive line and defensive tackles, let's shift and let's move to the NFL draft. So the first position I think we will talk about is going to be the interior of the defensive line. And you can't really go without talking about the guy like Quinn Williams and even a lot of people's, you know, some, some's favorite player in Ed Oliver in this draft. And uh, John, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because there's been this debate about Quinnen versus Bosa, who's the best player. And I think that part of what goes into that, at least, is not just the one year of Quinnen Williams, which was obviously a fantastic year in his athletic testing, but just the positional value of how it's really, really rare to be able to find a double-digit sack guy from the interior, which makes what Aaron Donald has done so impressive. And I don't think that he's like as much of the kind of mold of like a Sue or uh, maybe even a, you know, McCoy, maybe you're talking about a guy like a Chris Jones, who I believe had like about, what was it, 14 or so sacks this year as far as an interior penetrator, makes splashes in the run game, probably maybe the second best defensive interior guy in the NFL right now. That's a huge thing to have to give up because the Cardinals, as you're saying, they don't have a star at that position. They drafted Kim Dietschy to be that star. They let Calais Campbell walk. Some of that was maybe whether it was health, effort, other types of questions I think some of it may have been the 4-3 fit especially as well. Uh, talk a bit at least as far as four with a little bit of what you've seen at least with Quinnins, kind of what we think at least for as far as the Cardinals. Let's say that, you know, we, we both believe Murray's a done deal. What would be kind of the case that you would make then for Quinnen if you were talking to Steve Kime and making the case for Quinn and Williams? Well, I think he on paper had the best season of any defensive player in college football last year. And I think you combine that with the fact that I know a lot of people are concerned about what – playing for the Alabama Crimson Tide and specifically Nick Saban does to you physically. We've seen a lot of these Alabama's players flame out at the next level because their bodies are just broken down. Quinnen doesn't have that. Quinnen's a one-year starter. Quinnen is somebody right. who has been highly talked about for many years, finally was given this opportunity because they've had the likes of Jonathan Allen and tons of other first-round players, Deron Payne, you know, countless NFL draft picks, day one, day two draft picks that he's had to sit behind and wait. It's only 20. He just turned 21 years old. He's 6'4", 300 pounds. Um, he is by far the most disruptive player in the class. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Blake. He is somebody that has that unique ability to rush the quarterback and be able to potentially garner double-digit sacks as a defensive tackle, which is just completely unheard of in today's NFL. Um, he's got just incredibly quick hands, uh, accelerates through, you know, redirect blocks. He's, he's been described as a heat-seeking missile. You know, does he have, you know, certain weaknesses? I, I think sometimes um, he, he has issues generating, you know, his bull rush. But a, at the end of the day, he's somebody that, you know, he ran a 4.840. I mean, it's just complete freak show uh, numbers. His 40 time is comparable to, to Nick Bosa, which is crazy to think about. So, he is a, I would say he's a transcendent talent at one of the most important positions. And if you talk about the case uh, against Kyler Murray for Quinnen Williams, Quinnen Williams, even though taking a defensive tackle first overall has really not been the norm, they generally go two, three, four. Uh, I don't have a problem with that uh, in compared to one. Quinn Williams is the standard at defensive tackle. He looks the part. He's got the resume, whereas Kyler is an outlier, right? He's 5'10". Again, he's only got one year of starting experience. He was fringe uh, on, the, on the cusp of playing baseball. He's been noncommittal at times. You just took a quarterback. Quinn, to me, also, and I hate using this word, is probably the safest player in this mm -hmm. draft. 
I he's got a very low bust ceiling. He may if he if he, if anything may not be a all pro player. You would hope if you take him first overall, but I think there's very little chance that he's going to bust. Whereas somebody like Nick Bosa, who's got injury history, two of his last four seasons he's ended up uh, done for the season due to injury. Kyler, we've talked about the bust potential. Clearly, of the top three players that the Cardinals would consider, let's call them all blue chip prospects. Quinn, and by far, is the safest, Blake. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the. Yeah, I was going to say you hit the nail on the head this time, John. The fact that. Quinn had the one season doesn't bother me as much when you look at how a lot of the stuff when it was put together he was probably like in some cases maybe the best player on the field in that Oklahoma Alabama game because he got almost instant penetration where it just shut down a lot of Oklahoma's early half um, rushing and even some of their passing attack where it forced Kyler to have to run outside of the pocket guys kept their gaps and so he wasn't able to take off and scramble had to come back in the second half and start making a lot of those really like on the money throws so I, I think uh, over time it's come around to I've kind of warmed up to the idea that Quinn and Williams might be maybe he's the best overall player at least in this draft if you want to talk about things in that sense I still think the value of an edge rusher and a Nick Bosa and especially the productivity that Bosa had would elevate him ahead of me as far as for what I would draft at number one. So some people like take the best player, the best talent, but you know, if that was the case, you'd probably take a wide receiver. You might argue taking a wide receiver with your pick every year, just because of the level and because of the talent level there. Um, Let's talk about some of the other players who are there because with Ed Oliver, I think that's an interesting spot for the Cardinals because uh, I don't know if he's a guy who's going to really be the the fit in the Vance Joseph defense you look for. I think he's a guy who you would try to build around. He's a bit lighter in the pants. He's a guy who I, I even actually made a comparison. It's like he might be the guy who we kind of hoped that Robert Kimbichi would be as far as this guy who can get upfield, penetrate, be able to make these big time splash tackles for loss or make these kind of like he's in the backfield instantly. Maybe because of the combination of his freakish athleticism and the fact that he's a bit, you know, slimmer, he may be as a little bit higher maybe not ceiling than Quinnen, but maybe as far as for being able to make splash plays, he's a bit up there. I, I think the NFL ultimately is looking at him as a little light in the pants and has some questions as well. But um, what are some of the other things you're looking at, John, as far as for some of the players? Because I, I, as far as with this defensive line class, I think we'll get into the day two guys right after this, but what are the thoughts that you'd have on Oliver or any other guys who are on the defensive line of the interior? Like let's say the Cardinals were, you know, looking at trading back into any type of range, or let's say that, for whatever reason, the Raiders traded up, Cardinals trade back a second time. What are kind of those high end, the upper echelon of the interior defensive line that you'd be looking at? Yeah, I hate to talk about scheme fit when you're picking first overall because yeah. that shouldn't <laughs> that shouldn't ever be a priority when you're as bad as the Cardinals, specifically, you know, against the run uh, like they were last year. But I I would concur. I I don't think Ed Oliver fits a, as a three four defensive end, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call it, that five technique. He's only 6'2", roughly 285, 290. He's almost got comparable measurables for a heavy defensive end. I mean, he almost looks like somebody like Rashawn Gary. The difference is Ed Oliver is incredibly quick at the point of attack. I think in a four-man front, playing the smaller of the two defensive linemen, or excuse me, the defensive tackles, so that three technique, uh, I think he could really excel and be super productive uh, for a lot of teams in the in the top ten, you think of you know the Detroit's of the world. I know they would love a chance at Ed Oliver, maybe Jacksonville. Not so much the Giants now. They've got James Betcher in the fold, and they're and they're running the three four now. 
too. But he he's somebody I think who I don't know if he's he's not as safe as Quinnen. And we've heard about Ed throughout the duration of this offseason and last offseason. He had been generating buzz for some time leading up to this year and has always kind of been around that five to 10 marker for the 2019 draft. So I will say at least he's been consistent uh, and his, his production has, has backed it up for the most part. So I, I do think he's somebody, look, at the end of the day, if he's the best player available and on your board and you're the Arizona Cardinals, like I don't think anybody in our fan base would have qualms about taking him. You just got to make sure you use him correctly. There are so many situational fronts in the NFL now. And just to be able to say, I run a three, four and I run a four, three, I think that's, it, you know, I think that's too historic. I think that's ancient way of thinking. Hopefully what we've learned after last year is the Cardinals are going to be a little more progressive on how they run their offense and defense. Um, but as far as, who else I like um, that's probably going to go in the neighborhood between maybe 6 and 20? I like Brian Burns a lot. I think he's ultra-athletic. I think he's somebody that would slide seamlessly opposite Chandler Jones. You know, a lot of people are knocking Josh Allen right now. I think he's got a very low bust ceiling. I think he's somebody that incredibly hard worker, produced at a non-traditional power like Kentucky, put up huge numbers. I mean, what more do you – do you have to ask of this guy? Um, and I think that he's somebody, again, if he's not an all-pro, I would be surprised if he's not just a, a really good quality player. I think he's comparable to somebody like Brandon Graham of the Eagles, who's gotten better over time, but was not super flashy early on in his career, but has, has made a nice career for himself as a, as a former first-round pick, I think, in the mid-teens. Um, as far as the rest of the defensive tackle class, you know, I, I've always liked Dexter Lawrence. I think he's somebody that could really fill – uh, uh, the role between Corey Peters and Rodney Gunter moving forward if, the, if they decide to move on from one or both after this season. Mm -hmm. uh, any, any of the defensive linemen from Clemson, to me, would be fair game in a, in a trade back. I wouldn't have a problem with any of them. Um, and then I think there's a little bit of drop-off. Jeffrey Simmons from uh, Mississippi State uh, is somebody I think who's going to go probably late first. Uh, and yeah. it clearly, I, w I wouldn't have a problem with him, too. He dominated the SEC, the best conference in, in college football. Um, and you know, Rashawn Gary, probably a little bit too big to play three, four outside linebacker, yeah. doesn't have really quality pass rush moves to speak of more of a power rusher. I, I think he could probably go to a more traditional four, three, but outside of that, you know, we'll talk about day, day two options. I think we both agree, Blake, there's a, there's a big drop off after the initial two or three guys. I think all of us expect some combination of Quinnen, Bosa, Allen and and maybe Burns to go in the top 10 you could see Monte Sweat sneak in there potentially I think that's about it and we yeah. know pass rushers are at a premium in today's NFL we just saw what Demarcus Lawrence got from the Cowboys so I would not be surprised if there are four edge rushers in the top 10. Yeah, especially with teams were not wanting to pay a lot of those uh, edge rushers when the draft is so deep for them. You got to see absolutely rated and the cut Justin Houston. It's like, yeah, you can probably draft one and you know day one or day two and then be able to you know get one late. So uh, the other guy I think and this is interesting. Like you mentioned, the Clemson uh, Clemson guys with Clellan Farrell and Dexter Williams. Dexter Williams to me, just from going over, like if he had declared last year, he probably would have for whatever reason gone higher in the draft. And it was interesting by him staying into a deeper class. He's basically like a 340-pound like beast of a run stuffer who 
also it can be really pretty was like one of the pro football focuses most productive pass rushers as well when he did rush the rush the passer so it's probably like if you're talking about a vita vea except the guy who can play on all three downs and and get after the passer that's just a huge you know monster that'd be there i don't know if he's a guy who's going to be around at 33 it would depend on what offensive players go if you are looking for one of those guys in the at pick 33 though he would be one of the guys that would be you know a fantastic addition because then that's going to be kind of your guy where you know the opposing offensive lineman will walk out onto the field and then they'll like look up at the guy that they're going to have to be going up against for that one so I really like Dexter Williamson I like him more than um, Clone for, uh, Farrell as well uh, the other guy and this is someone who like Seth Cox at least he's kind of the one who I, I think that I listened to a little bit of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast a little bit of the thunder here Draymond Jones out of Ohio State is a lot of productivity especially on the pass rushing side from a, an interior standpoint and what's interesting and also about him is when you take a look at uh, the measurables and the stats that he put up you're talking about going against big 10 offensive linemen john we talk about how you always want to make sure you look at those good big 10 uh, o-line that you want to draft uh, he ended up putting up very similar numbers to quinnon williams except he did it for i think it was uh, two or three years at least for that one uh, whereas quinnon as his size and profile you know, tests out obviously a bit stronger, especially against the run. That's the one area where, you know, Draymond maybe is a little bit weaker against. But as far as if you're looking for a guy who can come in as a rookie, be able to make a hey, like come on in on third down for a rotation and get after the passer and then work on developing him in the run game. Um, I think Draymond would be a fantastic addition. Um, I'm a little bit uh, curious as to where, where Jeffrey Simmons will go. He's kind of one of those risks where, where the Cardinals are right now, uh, this is the question I posed to you, John. I'm not sure if I want to take a guy and redshirt him, even if it's like, oh, he's a 10, 10 top 15 talent. You have to redshirt Well, the Cardinals him. can't afford to do that. I don't think you can afford to do that. And just because of with the rest of the off field and the ACL, the injury and some of that, I think it's a spot where, you know what, I'll be content to let someone else take that risk. Maybe if you're talking about like, hey, if you could come away with, you know, Let's say you take Kyler and get Jeffrey Simmons at 33. You're like, wow, look at what you walked away with. Two of like, you know, maybe the top 10 talents in the draft. I still think it's too much of a risk. And we've seen so many different times of players who have ACLs or injuries who get drafted. And then just with whatever the expectations are, they just are never able to make it click. So I would be more than happy to let someone else take that, uh, take that risk on myself, John. Uh, I, I think you're kind of sounds like in the same light there. Oh, they, they can't afford any more quote-unquote redshirt players, players that don't immediately make an impact year one. And I think that's the biggest point of frustration with, with the Bird game with, with Cardinal fans is Steve Kime too many times drafted players that didn't have a role year one. We saw that yeah. with Robert Kimdichi. We saw that with DJ Humphreys where he just wasn't ready to play. Jonathan Cooper, injury history, did not play. Now he was slated to play year one. But Hassan Reddick didn't have a defined role. I think the only one you can point to is Daum Buchanan was a was a fairly consistent starter or substarter in nickel packages. Uh, but again, nobody has been able to come in and seize a starting job as a first round player for the Arizona Cardinals during Steve Kimes' tenure. That's a that's a major problem. Is as much as we were high on Josh Rosen last year, they started Sam Bradford yep. probably probably to a fault out of their own stubbornness even <laughs> well we all Bradford was a lot a lot better in in camp overall and some of that we did get to see that hey he won the job out when it came to the on field Bradford mentally was there and he was good up until you know it got to third down and then everything just went out went out the door it seems the, the Cardinals are going to are going to be in a position I believe because I think they're going to end up getting a day two pick for Josh Rosen and I think 
with Steve Kime's history, I think he's probably going to look to move down either from the Rosen pick or from pick 33 to accumulate more picks on day two. So I could see a scenario in which they have four picks on day two, and then you combine that with Murray. We know Murray's going to be the starter, or he better be. And then you figure four picks on day two. I think you need two of those day four day two players to be starters right away. So whether we're talking about a right guard, whether we're talking about, you know, outside receiver to go along with Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, maybe a tight end, certainly a defensive tackle or an inside linebacker. They need players that are immediately going to have not necessarily an impact, but they need to gain that experience. They need players because they're not good at so many positions that what does it say about certain players that they draft, even if they come from collegiate powerhouses, that they can't come in immediately and seize an opportunity. That's probably the biggest point of frustration for us is that they've taken players high and then they become afterthoughts when camp starts and they're beaten out by, you know, street free agents, especially up front on the offensive line. So I, I think Murray or whomever they take, even though we feel like it's Murray, listen, if they take Nick Bosa, he's not going to start over Terrell Suggs, or at least not initially. Yeah. So I think, I think we can all put Nick Bosa out of our minds at this point. But I know, and you know, Steve Kime, he's a big fan of Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams would come into this locker room and galvanize it and would dominate up front. He is everything I believe that Robert Kimdichie is not comes from a blue-collar, tough program. Nobody is tougher on their players than Nick Saban. Robert Kimdichie went to soft old Miss that who, whoever you, you talk to may or may not have paid their players. That was a that was a loose program. Robert had, you know, he was a, a, a pretty crazy upbringing. It was, a, you know, fell out of a window in college and yeah. did all this other stuff. Had a had like a pet Black Panther or something. So just Robert had a very privileged upbringing and was a was pretty immature when he came into this league. And I don't want to turn this into a Robert Kimdichie, you know, roast or anything like that. But I, Quentin Williams is the opposite of that. And so I, I do think Quentin would be the kind of player that you could immediately come in and say, like, regardless of how we're going to be this year in 2019, like we have a building block, a defensive tackle, and they just don't have enough players that they can say that about at this point. Yeah, I, 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 do, I agree with all of that. And I think it's also a spot of when you talk about Kimdiche, it's like the season you expected him to have in his rookie year was essentially what we just got in, uh, you know, the, the third year of Kimdiche. And then afterwards with the injury that he had with his ACL, just as it's just, it's been rough. Wait, at least. It'd be nice to have some consistency. Here's ACL. Yeah, that was what the news was, at least for that one. It came out with stuff after the season, at least, for all of that, was essentially that there was a tear. We don't know if it was complete tear. It's kind of been one of those weird spots that's been on the down low, but that's part of the reason why the Cardinals have not been moving on is because, you know, the NFL contract is going to prohibit you from essentially cutting a player while they're injured, so he has to stay. Rehab probably isn't going to be able to play up until, you know, sometime halfway through or at the last part of the year, and then he's going to be essentially like in his uh, – I believe this is his fourth year in the league because he was drafted in 2016, 17. Last year was 18. This is his fourth year in the league. And then essentially I don't see them doing a fifth-year option on him. So this is essentially a contract year for him in which he's not going to be able to play. And so he's going to have to be taking, you know, the one-year money on a team. And just It's going to be a really rough uh, – it's going to be a rough time, at least for Kimdichie. And I, I admire the fact that, you know, he took a step forward, was able to be, you know, essentially was a starter up until the injury started. And then there was inconsistencies that we saw. How much of that was on him? How much of that was Wilkes? And then really, I think it does come down to just the lack of the fit that was there. So uh, there's a couple of guys I think that might be out there. And, um, you know, with 
day three picks are potential. I know we talked about with Alabama guys, like Isaiah Bugs is a guy who seemed to kind of pop out a bit. Kalen Saunders will probably go on day two. A lot of people seem to like him. Those are just kind of some of the names that you'll hear. Usually when we, if we, you and I know a name, <laughs> sometimes there'll be other players that will suddenly vault in. Like, who is that? And you find out that behind the scenes, there was a lot of stuff going on. These are the ones who it's kind of like, blatantly obvious like oh yeah that's a guy who's going to go right there so usually a lot of those guys are going to be gone before it gets into those day three or there's a guy who falls quite drastically a lot of times it's either there's an injury or some other history you're not quite sure of we saw that unfortunately with dorian johnson in uh 2017 i believe at least where you know he was fourth round pick thought by many to be a second round pick came into camp had no flexibility was really not able to do as much because of the injuries so he's just bounced around ever since um, John, let's go back and kind of talk a little bit about the edge rushers. I know we've talked a bit about Nick Bosa. He's the guy who, as I said, because of where the NFL is going, it's about making the splash plays, whether that's forcing a turnover, it's about forcing a sack. It's about recognizing that you're not going to be able to completely stop and shut down NFL teams, but you're able to essentially make big plays. Uh, it's almost like arena football in that sense, make big plays to be able to let it kind of kill the possession off, get the ball back. Sacks are one of those things. And Nick Bosa, from what I've talked and I've, you know, done a bit of research. I even wrote an article on it for a bunch of the birds a few months ago. Like you mentioned, John, with his injury history and also the fact that he just was a part-time starter at Ohio state, he is kind of like Kyler Murray, a, a bit of an outlier because he doesn't have that three years of solid production that a lot of the other guys like a Miles Garrett or a Jadavion Clowney had. But in the time that he did play, he was essentially just as productive as each of them. Probably was maybe not as good against the run, but was better as a pass rusher than his brother Nick Bosa was. Fits really well for that one. I think as far as for me, Bosa, because it's so clear, the real interesting question to me is, who's the better guy between Josh Allen and Brian Burns? Because this is the question that I think a lot of Cardinals fans had was, let's say you were trading back with the Raiders and let's say the Raiders actually did take Nick Bosa. Okay, well, Raiders took Nick Bosa. Hey, Quinn and Williams all of a sudden goes at number two. Say a team traded up with the Jets to number three and took a Kyler Murray. Or let's say the Jets took Josh Allen. You weren't going to be ever taking Kyler Murray, at least at that point. That's why a lot of Cardinals fans, like you had Josh Rosen. Some were like wondering, hey, like who would be like a guy? Would you trade back again from four if that was the case? And I think that that was where Brian Burns with the combine that he had of testing out as an elite athlete, you know, with that 250 pound size running in the four fives, like Mark, that's Marcus Golden size, essentially. He was coming out of college. Incredible athlete is able to bend the edge. Some of the recent questions about if he's more of like a one trick speed pony, I've seen a lot more as far as the spin moves, the bends. And it, it was interesting seeing with, I kind of felt like with watching Burns, it was almost like I wasn't sure if he was going to be more of like, this guy's going to develop into a Chandler Jones for where he's going to be able to get up to that type of level. Or if it was more of like, is he like the Vic Beasley and more of a Leonard Floyd, like slight guy type you try to put on the weights was effective in college. But when they get to the pros are just, they're all right for that one. I think that was kind of the biggest thing that some have questioned about with Burns. He did put up honestly, very close stats to Josh Allen overall with, I think it was 28 compared to 32 sacks, same amount of tackles for loss, even, Allen's kind of got better each year, had his big breakout year this year in his senior year. Whereas Burns broke out as a sophomore, had, you know, I think it was a little bit of an injury history in his junior season. And then again here in this last year, he was one of the best, you know, edge rushers in college football. So, John, talk a little bit about what you've kind of seen as far as the difference about that. Do you have any thoughts on Burns? Because that was kind of a player that I was concerned. Hey, if the Cardinals traded back before, they were going to be missing out on those guys. Would you, you know, 
be comfortable taking a guy like a Brian Burns. I kind of felt like I would at least coming alongside of Chandler Jones, learning behind a guy like Terrell Suggs for a year. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a lighter guy, but it's all about pass rush these days. So let's talk a little bit about that, John, before we look at some of the other edge rushers in this class. What, what are your thoughts, at least, on kind of the Burns-Allen debate? And is Bosa still a tier above either of those guys? Yeah, I absolutely would be comfortable with either Allen or, or Burns, anywhere in the top the top ten, assuming you can't get one of Bosa Williams or if you're not taking <laughs> Kyler Murray. Um, and I do believe they are both, notches below Nick Bosa, but I think they're very comparable to each other. I'm putting together a top 120, and I've got Allen fifth overall, and I've got Brian Burns sixth overall. Uh, and I think they would go. both men, um, be uh, have a favorable advantage playing alongside Chandler Jones and working behind the Terrell Suggs, being able to come in probably in year one in a rotational manner with Suggs predominantly on third down. Uh, and you would have a really nice three- or four-man rotation with Suggs and Brooks Reed uh, as your two kind of veterans alongside Chandler Jones, who's your all-pro, and then the young and up-and-coming Allen or Burns. Burns, to me, is in very a very similar position to Allen. I think his ceiling might be slightly higher, but I think his floor is lower. Mm. I like both of these these guys because they played it. Uh, they played in big-time programs, and they produced – with numbers like I can look at the analytics and they have a lot of um, you know pro football focus has very high marks for both of these individuals but they both also produce double digit sacks and I I struggle doing projections for defensive ends uh, in terms of sacks at the next level when they couldn't successfully sack the quarterback at the college level unless it comes out that they were just grossly underused and that does happen right they run an unconventional defense they were asked to drop back in coverage too much like their college coaches knew what they did best and that's Mm -hmm. get after the quarterback and both of these guys produced and I think they're right there with each other again I think Burns has a higher ceiling and has a chance to be Maybe somebody like an Alden Smith. I think he's kind of built physically like that. He's 6'5". Yeah. I think he's somebody that has the length. He's very kind of similar to Chandler Jones. Allen, to me, is a little bit more compact. But again, he is such a hard worker. He is such a high-character guy. And again, you talk about succeeding at a place like Kentucky where very few NFL players come from again. And he's also six, five, but I just, I don't think he's quite as athletic, but when you have 17 sacks at the university of Kentucky, which is a fringe bowl team every year. And he willed that team to 10 wins this year. I, I think that that like we're not, nobody's talking enough about that. And again, I think it's trendy to pick on Josh Allen right now. I think we're nitpicking when you put on the tape, he is one of the five best players in this draft without question to me. Um, so I would have Allen slightly ahead. I would do backflips for either one of them at this point in a trade down scenario. I think they're in a class above again, like the Montez sweat. Um, you know, you, you circle down to Farrell from Clemson, Rashawn Gary, we just talked about. Then there's a big drop off to guys like Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana tech yeah. or LJ Coiler from TCU guys like that um so I I think both all three of these guys hopefully are going to be successful pros including both side both biggest question mark Blake is 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 injury and being able to stay on the field 
He's on the field. I think he's going to be a quality NFL player with a chance to make multiple pro bowlers. It's in his blood. His brother is an all pro. His father was a, was a, a very solid NFL player. I believe his uncle played in the NFL. So he knows how to do what he does best and that's rush the passer. Um, but I think that a very nice consolation prize would be, would be Josh Allen or Brian birds for a Cardinal team that being able to hang their hat on very few things at this point, rushing the passer would be one of them. Yeah. Especially when you're looking at versus the run, I, I think that that may be where Allen gets pushed a bit higher. So when you're looking at upside, I, I can see where it goes. Some of question of whether Allen's going to be like an Anthony Barr type where he's going to be more of like a, it'll be an edge player, but it'll be kind of an off ball guy. Or if he's going to kind of graduate into more of when you're looking at, and it's hard to say as the defensive end, but the guy that you'd be probably looking at as far as that type of an impact would be like a, um, Oh, it's the uh, Daniel, Daniel Hunter, at least for the Vikings, as far as, yeah. you know. And you can make an argument, Blake. You can make an Anthony argument for Barr, either one, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Barr was – I think he's been grossly misused in the NFL. He's been asked to play, um, you know, your three-down outside linebacker in a 4-3 when I think his best position was a 3-4 end coming out of UCLA. He was somebody, like you just mentioned, very comparable numbers to – somebody like Brian Burns with, I think he had like 23 sacks in his last two years at UCLA that ran a three, four and the Vikings take him and put him at, you know, the, the Hassan Reddick role. They try yeah. to make him a, you know, a four, three outside linebacker. And so sometimes it is scheme. Yeah, I definitely agree there. So yeah. Um, as far as with looking at it, it's tough because there's, it's such a deep class as far as with looking at the edge when some of that can be a positive, sometimes it can be, you know, a bit of a negative when you're talking about what you're going to have with the, um, you know, with the, with the way the Cardinals are, a lot of times when you look at the best edge players in the NFL, it's usually not going to be guys who are found with that Marcus Golden on top of the second round picks. Usually it's those guys who they have the combination of the athleticism and the pass rushing skills and the productivity. Usually if guys are missing in one or two of those areas, you'll end up seeing them kind of turn into like a Shane Ray that we've seen for the most part, who was a first round pick, super productive in that wide nine at Missouri. And turns out that Marcus Golden ended up being overall the better player because he was a better technical player, had a bit more get off, but even Golden, he's kind of on a, what is, I think it's a one or two year deal now with the Giants after the injury and the fact that his athleticism wasn't as high of a ceiling for a lot of those either. So a lot of those bigger, stronger tackles, at least just kind of either keep pushing him outside or are able to get him around. That's where you kind of need to find those Chandler Jones guys who are really going to be you know, there to make a, a big time impact. So uh, it's interesting to see there's some other guys, at least for that one. I know you talked about Montez Sweat. It seems like Jashai Polite. Uh, I, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but uh, you know, it's when you talked about Ole Miss and some of the, you know, the things he's a Florida pass rusher and we've seen kind of mixed bags of some of the guys with Florida coming out. Some turn into good pros. Some of them, at least it's kind of almost like the program is a, where he, there's been a lot of questions. Like he didn't watch his own film and things have been weird as far as, and then slow combine. It seems like he's kind of been falling a bit, despite the fact that he was probably one of the best pass rushers you know, in the NFL last year for what are some other kind of late guys that you're looking for? Cause I know like just some of the names that I hear at least float out people like is I hear people like Chase Winovich better than Rashawn Gary. It's almost kind of like maybe he's the Marcus Golden this year and Rashawn Gary is the guy who's maybe an athletic version of Shane Ray, but doesn't turn out as much overall. Uh, I know that the Iowa, at least with Anthony Nelson's got a guy who is probably at least going to be one of those guys who's their end of day two, maybe early 
uh, on day three as far as a pass rusher goes. And overall, that's where I, I think that the biggest question I think I have is, is right now with Jalen Ferguson because he doesn't seem to have tested out as the best athlete, but the Cardinals seem to have spent quite a bit of time with him from what I've looked up or seen at least without he's out of a small school at Louisiana Tech. You know, that kind of like small school guys. I, I have no idea if he's going to end up being – boosted up as far as his ability as a pass rusher or if it's one of those guys where you know a lot of teams are doing a lot of work for the small school guy hoping they can kind of get one of those late day three steals but it'll be really interesting to me to be able to find out exactly if the cardinals are going to be looking in this draft at you know the defensive line or edge because i don't know if you can really draft both and expected the draft pick to address it i think you're going to have to kind of pick one of those guys at least because if you're gonna you know if you were taking Quinn and Williams and, or, or at one, or if you were taking, say, Nick Bosa at one and following it up with a Draymond Jones or, you know, a Dexter Lawrence in the second round. Yeah, I'm sure, okay, we get those two defensive players down and get the side on the defense, and then that would be how you'd try to build your team that way. Instead, I think you're going to have to probably pick one of the defensive line, one of the edge players for that one. And I just feel like this year it's probably going to be a defensive lineman that they'll go for, and it might be you have to look at the edge next year after Terrell Suggs, you know, if he's going to come back for second year or if he's going to retire and this is it for him. John, I, I, do you have any other guys that you're looking at for the most part that you'd like? And then I'll come back. I got one last name that I think uh, the Cardinals have met with that we'll be able to share for some of the listeners. At least I'll be curious if you can kind of figure out which one it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Blake. I think that if of the two positions, I think they're going to focus more on defensive tackle because they're just, they're just too average right now. And you're relying on Corey Peters, who's on the last year of his deal, who's, I believe, 30 years old now and is really more of a situ- situational player. He's not an every-down mm-hmm. player. Uh, Rodney Gunter had his first productive season last year. They just gave uh, a decent amount of money from Darius from San Diego, or excuse me, Los Angeles, who we think is going to probably be their best defensive lineman. But that's not saying much. You're, you're, you're rolling the dice on him based on projections moving forward, and, and those are always dicey, whereas they are solidified right now mm-hmm. at outside linebacker when you talk about Chandler Jones, who's one of the best in the NFL, Terrell Suggs, who is still very productive, like you just mentioned, wants to play two more years, played 70% of snaps last year. I think they're going to use him as much as they can. I think when you look at the, the two contrast positions, and Brooks Reed's been a starter in, this, in the NFL for a while as well, and you can do worse having him as your third or fourth outside linebacker, sure. uh, especially when he can contribute on special teams. Uh, as somebody like maybe Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame who plays a 3-4, um, who is incredibly physical, I think – is probably going to go somewhere between pick 35 to 50. I think that he find that sweet spot, maybe in a potential Rosen deal to Washington. I'm not saying for pick 47, but in this instance, I, I think that you always see these defensive linemen fall, maybe not pass rushers, but defensive tackles. Remember Chris Jones fell out of the first round and was gifted to Kansas city. So um, I think that they're going to be probably in a in a better position to take an impact defensive tackle because I think the talent's going to be better. I just think with with the lack of edge rushers in the NFL, predominant quality edge rushers, we're going to see a run on them in the first round, and the Cardinals are just going to miss out. But at the end of the day, they have much more pressing needs, and I think defensive tackle is is bigger, quite frankly, right now. Yeah, I would agree with that overall. And I think that it's nice that it's, you know, deep in both of those areas. Um, as far as players that we know that the Cardinals have actually met with, um, they spent, I believe, it had a, I don't know if it was a top 30 visit, but they did work out Daniel Wise, 
So that'll be kind of a name to be able to monitor or mention. The guy who I was think that would be a very interesting fit would be Zach Allen, who's an edge player out of Boston College. Team spent some time with him, likes him. He ended up with a, you know, a pretty good vertical jump, at least overall broad jump, as far as with being able to show off the athleticism. Uh, was fine on the bench press. The thing that was interesting with him also was the fact that he was one of the players who tested out and really did well in both the pass rush and the run defense that he didn't get a lot of sacks as far as he still had 18 sacks overall in his career is about five, six and then seven. And it was the most he gotten in early 2016 for the most part, but he was able to put up a lot as far as being able to have a pass between pass rush and run, being able to get a, about 65 or so hurries. The best way to kind of think of him is maybe he ends up turning into more of that Derek Wolf type where he's a defensive end. He'll have some edge plates, not going to be a linebacker like you'd be looking for in the Vance Joseph scheme, but he'll be a guy that you'll be able to say, Hey, we're going to put you into that, you know, five technique type of a role on a team where it's not going to be on the most outside, but you'll be in a defensive end. That would be an interesting kind of pick for the Cardinals. I think that because of the team, uh, team's always looking for pass rushers and the fact that so many are going to go early, I think that might end up propping up his stock where some teams, you know, eventually will be like, hey, we're not going to hit anyone. This first tier, we're going to grab an offensive player because we're going to go and grab a guy like Zach Allen later. Um, so, yeah, otherwise, though, John, I, I agree with you. It feels to me like this team is being a little bit more prepped for a defensive tackle, even – with Rodney Gunter returning, um, if they did decide to go for an outside linebacker or an edge pass rusher to be able to kind of learn and play behind Terrell Suggs, I, I wouldn't fault the team at all. But I feel like that's kind of a spot where you're going to be, you know, essentially saying, hey, we've got our one star player on the one side with Chandler Jones. You could try to find a partner for him and then make that a strength of your team. Or you could work on saying, hey, we're going to see if we can find an impact guy who's going to be there in the middle of the field. Um, it'll be interesting with Tillery. I've, there's been kind of some rumors, some have been connecting that are wondering if, you know, he's a bit of a, whether he's a weird dude or if there's stuff he's been doing kind of to lower his stock. Uh, some of that has like been kind of like the name hasn't been floated out there, but someone kind of put two and two together. Um, he's also been kind of suspect in the run game, but as far as pass rusher goes, he's probably one of the most productive pass rushers from the interior we saw last year. So yeah, maybe Jerry Tillery ends up being a guy that, Cardinals do look at out of Notre Dame. Uh, let's transition to kind of the next area, which is one that we sadly, despite multiple first round picks, are still having to talk about as a need, and that would be the inside linebacker position. John, the inside linebacker core right now essentially consists of, of uh, Jordan Hicks, and it consists of a player who we're hoping is not going to be at least a bust in Hassan Reddick, who's kind of probably right now got one year to get a good shot at cementing and seizing the job. It's that all important year three. You'd love to see him step up. Cardinals might need to be looking at an inside linebacker even still, because if he doesn't step up you may need to actually have a guy who's developing or can come in on the field, John, who, who are some of the inside linebackers that you would look for? Do you think that it is a need or something that the Cardinals should even target before we hit day three of the draft? I think it's a need. I don't think it's going to be addressed high this year. I think that this is outside of the top two really first round quality linebackers and potentially top 20 linebackers, certainly with uh, Devin White, you can make an argument. He's one of the five best players in this draft. I think it's one of the weaker linebacking drafts in recent memory. I think outside of those two individuals, Devin White, of course, uh, from the University of Louisiana and Devin Bush from Michigan. I think the only other 
top 50 grade I have on a inside linebacker. Let me double check this so I don't uh, get this wrong. Is Mac Wilson from Alabama? I don't I don't see any other impact inside linebackers to speak of that are worth you know an early day two pick. Maybe late on day two, you, you could always see some guys sneak up, but. It's a situation that the Cardinals only have themselves to blame. Obviously, they've tried for so many off seasons to address this position. Yeah, and they're and they're paying Hicks quality money, so they feel like if he's on the field and the analytics, the metrics back this up. He's a pro football focused darling. They expect Hicks to be their impact inside linebacker, um, and they think that they can get enough. <clears throat> I've been told out of Hassan Reddick to at least be fingers crossed, a capable starter. <laughs> so when you factor those two um, into the equation, they would like to see some of their younger players step up. They, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, they've got two individuals on the practice squad that they're high on, that their names escape me. And then I think they have an opportunity with the influx of picks that they have on day three, specifically from their comp picks. I think they're going to move around and be active on day three. I think that's a scenario in which we could see them add a linebacker in the fourth, in the fifth round. Uh, you've seen a lot of quality linebackers become stamp, become quality starters, I should say, after being selected on day three. Uh, I'd have no problem for the Cardinals addressing that on day three, just to find somebody um, to be a depth player. Because right now, best case scenario, you've got already your two inside linebackers moving forward. I mean, really, I don't think Steve Kimes in a position to say Hassan Reddick is a bust and we've got to move on. I think he, he really does have to say, He's my guy. I'm going to ride or die with him because at the time, Hassan Reddick would probably be shown the door. Steve Kime would go with him if that's the way that things are, are trending. And that could very well happen, but that's not going to happen, we would think, for another two years. No, um, if, the, if the Cardinals are in a position to trade down and they're picking in the top 10, would I have a problem with Devin White? I wouldn't love it because I, I know they need an edge player and a defensive tackle more, but I have Devin White as the third best player in this class. I think he is a supreme athlete and played at uh, one of the highest, <clears throat> if not the highest, NFL factory for defensive players in the country. Uh, I know fans are probably having flashbacks of Kevin Minter. Devin White is such a superior prospect at linebacker than Kevin Minter ever was. Uh, he is somebody with legitimate 4-5, if not sub-4-5 speed. His tape speaks for itself. He dominated in the SEC. He would fit seamlessly. He's very comparable to Jordan Hicks, but obviously I think his ceiling is higher, and he's got better durability. Um, and then Devin Bush, again, is right a notch below him, dominated in the Big Ten, played in a 3-4 with Jim Harbaugh. I think he's somebody that would be immediate impact starter for the Cardinals. Um, it's, it's just not a position I think that's going to be addressed. I could be wrong that I just don't think it's going to be addressed early. They have so many other needs and they have two young starters that they've invested in. They've invested yeah. money in Hicks and they invested a first round pick in Hassan Reddick. But as we've seen in this off season, Blake, it doesn't matter if you've invested a first round pick in a player, they could be looking to move on a year from now, a la Josh Rosen. So, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but at the end of the day, I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good enough inside linebacker class to be drafting one predominantly on day two, early on day two, unless you're infatuated with a guy like Mac Wilson. Yeah. And I think that's what it's interesting because Mac Wilson was one of those guys. When you talk about the Alabama, like the best thing I could at least find a comparison is it's almost like it's like a CJ Mosley light where you got a lot of, you know, the run stuffing, being able to develop. Maybe there's a little bit of less athleticism and not, maybe they'll give up sometimes in coverage, but overall it's like you're looking at a 
solid overall linebacker that's going to be a really, really um, long-time NFL player. Uh, assuming, you know, everyone always talks about the Alabama medicals. Usually those guys, for the most part, the medicals become a question. Usually, like, when it's year four or five coming in as far as the long-term viability. But as far as when we've seen with the – the players and the linebackers, like I, even though I, I like Devin White in this class because of his athleticism, the talent, the way that he blows up and is there, I still feel like that Devin White is like he's not in the same class that a Roquan Smith was last year for me, as far as being able to like instantly step onto the field. I think there's still going to be, you know, the athleticism will make up for some of the learning curve. Devin Bush is a guy who I think is maybe slightly better in coverage in that sense. Like I even looked up at his profiles. Like it almost felt like it was like reading some of what we've expected Jordan Hicks to be. Whereas with white will probably be a little bit of a higher ceiling for each of those. Um, Bush is still going to be, you know, right up there overall. The one guy who I know that and I, the Cardinals have met with, there's a couple of inside linebackers that they've met with. They've met with um, one out of Idaho, a small school guy did not get invited to the combine. Uh, that would be Caden Ellis. Uh, they had a private workout with him actually. And sometimes the private workout is, you know, put him through the motions and you can get some of the comparable data or compare him to some of the other players for guys who weren't at the combine. Um, there's Bobby Okereke at Stanford. Um, that was kind of more of a senior bowl meeting. The one that's intriguing to me is that they had a private workout, or excuse me, they had a meeting at the combine with Blake Cashman, the inside linebacker out of Minnesota. And he is a pro football focused darling as far as, with his athleticism, overall grade, how he tackles, being a both good in pass rushing and run stuffing. The biggest thing that was interesting was that there was a lot of completions and stuff that was allowed, but he still was able to make the tackles right away. So I think it's one of the interesting areas of if this ends up being a guy who, in the way that you kind of people I've talked to at least describe him as, dude is just this like, smart freak he's a guy who probably could fill in at least if you're a team he's not going to be like a cj mosley type mike linebacker but he'd be a guy who could come in be able to fill in that second inside linebacker role eventually be able to you know take it over be able to call things out it's just that the intelligence and the fact that he's got the athleticism to back it up you know he had a four you know i believe it he was about 235 240 pounds around the four or five forty had a 37 inch vertical jump as well and 124 inch broad jump so we're talking about a guy who ultimately he's got stats behind it for the most part with that one he really didn't come into his own until this year in 2018 he was just kind of it was one of those late bloomer i guess types that you had for him um, he ended up really just coming into his own as far as for being able to and kind of shot up a lot of draft boards after that combine happened because a lot of people went back, looked at the tape and were like, oh, th- there's definitely explosiveness that was here. So that would be a really interesting one. I, he's not going to be a guy that they would take at 33, I believe at all. But if he's a guy who's still around there, I don't know if it'd be a mid-second round pick. I mean, that would probably be like almost a nightmare for some Cardinals fans is let's say that the Cardinals – Afraid Josh Rose in it for that one, and they take an inside linebacker with that pick. It would almost be like Steve Kime, just Steve. Like it would be like you'd be saying, "Oh, you're Steve Kiming it, Steve." But if you're talking about the top of you know beginning of round three, that might be honestly one of those guys where you're like, "Hey, you know, if he's still around here, he fits the athleticism profile." A lot of other defensive players from bigger schools have gone. Let's take a. Uh, a glance at him and see if that's a guy who can stand behind Hassan Reddick or if Jordan Hicks is going to be having issues. That to me would be probably the one player kind of one situation where I'd say, yeah, you know, like I, I would probably say you're probably not going to take Mac Wilson or feel like there's enough of an urge or a need to like with this one, unless you're really, really low on Reddick. But I, I would say that'd be an awesome situation for me. I think I would be open to taking Cashman. All right. Uh, let's see. So, uh, John, are there anything else that you have with the inside linebackers before we kind of move on into a little bit more of the secondary? Because 
it's weird to have this feeling that the Cardinals do have a need, but as far as the draft goes, it's like outside of after those first two guys, it's not like there's going to be that many guys you even look at, like, be high on our day through any sleepers that I would talk about after Nashman. Yeah, and it's weird, Blake. It's weird to be talking about defense because the Cardinals were so poor offensively. And anytime that you're picking first overall, it's a it's a cumulative team effort in failure, right? It's not one or the other. But the Cardinals were so historically bad offensively last year. I mentioned it earlier, 13 points per game, and it felt like less than that, frankly, watching them. That it just, to me, if if the, the predominant amount of picks on day one and day two are not spent on offense, especially when you've seen them, specifically in free agency, what have they targeted? They've signed a slew of defensive backs, corners, safeties. They signed Jordan Hicks to the most money of any free agent this offseason, right? Sure, they've dabbled slightly in the offensive line. They've taken and stuck a lot of Band-Aids up front. But they haven't addressed receiver. They haven't addressed, for the most part, tight end. I think Charles Clay, to me, is somebody that is year-to-year. He's not somebody you build around predominantly. I think you're going to see, and I would hope, that the the first two days of the draft are going to be offensive heavy for this team. And we'll talk about some of the players we like on day two. But – Just position-wise, like, clearly, they're taking a quarterback in Kyler Murray. They're going to transition probably and take an outside receiver at some point, somebody that fits Cliff Kingsbury's mantra. We would not be surprised if they took a tight end high. They needed players all along the offensive line. We've said it time and time again, outside of David Johnson, really, that's the only starter they have in place. Now, you can make an argument for Larry in the slot and Christian Kirk on the outside, but outside of those two, you have no depth at receiver. Yep. So, whereas defensively, like, you can field a starting 11 on defense right now with the defensive line we talked about, with the linebackers we talked about, now with the secondary depth that they have, and you can feel comfortable with that defense hopefully being elevated by Vance Joseph to be, I would think, a top 16 defense next year and then you flip the script on and you look at the offensive perspective and it's just like who's playing right guard (laughs) the left left tackle's never healthy Justin Pugh's never healthy Mason Cole wasn't very good last year they don't have a third receiver we've never seen Kyler Murray play before at the NFL level their tight ends are hit or miss it's just like they it's a complete gut job and they have to remake the entire thing and now they have an offensive coach who can help them get there. But we don't know what he wants to do schematically. He's not telling anybody else what he needs offensively in terms of his philosophy. We can only judge it based on the collegiate level. So I I, I think that you are going to see, I think they let Vance Joseph pick out some of the groceries and free agency. Clearly multiple defensive backs from his time in Denver are now with the Arizona Cardinals. So now you're seeing a scenario in which he dominated probably the, the, the latter part of free agency. Kingsbury's offense is going to dominate the first two days of the draft. And I, I just think that fans need to prepare themselves for potentially not taking a defensive lineman edge or outside backer on day one or two. And just to say, okay, it's an offensive league and we were terrible last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's where the, I think the expectation you would have then is, that you brought in Vince Joseph to try to adapt to this personnel in the 3-4 that you had already versus trying to acquire more guys to fit in the 4-3. And that probably means you're going to be trying to fit more guys around Cliff Kingsbury's offense, especially since you really had no identity last year on offense, whereas your identity with Steve Wilkes just wasn't probably the identity 
that the team needed and it needed a couple more years to be able to get to that spot where it would have been functional. The Cardinals did not have that much time, unfortunately. And, you know, at that point you kind of looked and it was like, yeah, this is just, it's not going to be a marriage that we're looking for. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of wrap it up with the secondary. I think safety is, it's interesting as far as with where the safeties are being ranked this year for me, just because the, um, there's not really a, a huge need, I think, for the safety, especially if, you know, you even bring back a Trey Boston. You already have your strong safety and your free safety is set. And it's kind of a toss-up between Nasir Adderley or Deontay Thompson out of Alabama. Thompson, I think some people will check the medicals on him. Um, some people have kind of talked up uh, Darnell Savage Jr. I think there's even – I'll have to double-check and see if the Cardinals met with him or not. I remember that there's some teams that have met with him. The that would be kind of more of like your late day or if you're not going to be expecting to keep DJ Swearinger for the long haul, even the Cardinals essentially when he was released, they did claim him. So I think that'll be interesting to see the contract details if they want to, if they'll renew or not, it'll be fascinating with him. Uh, but John, talk a little bit about as far as, do you think that safety is even like a need or something to consider this year? What would be kind of the options that you would take a look at? And then we can probably move into cornerback, which I think at least has a little bit more intrigue and definitely a bit more depth this year for the Cardinals. Yeah, I'll keep it brief on safety. I'd be shocked if they took a safety high, uh, specifically yeah. on days one or two. I think there are so many other needs. I think that the NFL, unless you are a prototypical three-down safety that can play both in free and strong, you can play in the box, you can play that center fielder role, you can cover potentially outside receivers, the best of the best, the blue collars like a Derwin James, who, by the way, the Cardinals passed on last year, unless you fall into that category – you are not getting big-time NFL money, so why are you going to be chosen highly in the NFL draft? And I think that's what we've got with this group of players. You've got, like you mentioned, Thompson from Alabama. I would throw Taylor Rapp in, in that yep, scenario. Yep. Maybe somebody like Amari Hooker. I mean, these are good players, and I don't want to belittle you know, the, the kind of efforts they gave on the field and how they'll project to the next level. I just think we're going to see a lot of these guys push down because I think that you look at the pool of free safeties and, and strong safeties that are available right now in NFL free agency, and it's startling. You, we, we talked about the likes of Trey Boston, who I think does a quality contract and isn't going to get one at least in the short term, probably going to be signed after the draft. So yeah. to me, I, I think, again, Day three, all bets are off. Take the, the Cardinals are positioned. Take the best player available, hopefully outside of running back and quarterback. Go the <laughs> best player available, whatever position. It doesn't matter. They just need better players all around. But, you know, day one or two, stay away from safety. As far as corner goes, I'll, you know, I'll transition to that yeah. now. Like, Greedy Williams is a hell of a player, and I, I thought he was a top ten lock, especially after his combine. I've seen a lot of people push him down to this point. I think that – Yes, he was inconsistent a little bit at, at LSU, but his measurables and his athletic ability is off the charts. I, you know, he, if he falls to 33, you, you'd have to make a really convincing argument if you're going to go BPA that he's not the best player available for the Cardinals to take. Now, again, I just probably contradict myself because I think corner is a little bit of a luxury position when you have Patrick Peterson when you're throwing a bunch of veterans at the wall and you need so many other players. But he, to me, is kind of the outlier because he's such a special, special athlete. But yeah. then, you know, outside of him, it's a very similar position to safety when you've got guys like DeAndre Baker, who I'm a fan of. I, I like DeAndre Baker's game. Um, I like uh, Tr uh, Trayvon Mullen, I believe is his name. He's yeah. a really 
He's a really good player. Um, I think the kid from Temple, who is his name is Rock Yasin. All the highlights <laughs> I've seen of him, he's a good player too. I mean, like there there are good corners in this class, and generally we see the run on corners happen from about pick twenty to about pick fifty. Yeah. You, you see about ten go in that in that time frame. And I think if, if one's going to go top 20, top 15, it's going to be Greedy Williams. But I think the Cardinals are going to have an interesting choice because I think there are going to be many instances on day two where a cornerback is probably the highest rated player in uh, on their board. But the, I just think they've flooded too much of their secondary now with veterans that they've kind of shown their hand and they're going to go in an opposite direction. But that's not to say I don't like a lot of these players playing. No, I, th- I think it's what's tough is corner is one of the most important, I think, positions on the field and being able to say if you have a bad corner then you're kind of screwed if that makes sense like I mean, we saw that last year as soon as like you know the team essentially jettisoned for that one all of a sudden you see brandon williams came in for that one i was like oh he got like burned for two touchdowns like pretty easily and then the end of the seattle game was probably one of the easiest ones with a wide open touchdown with two corners just completely bit on the play action and it's just like a quick trot into the end zone at least for tyler lockett it was just like this like uh so when do you have you need to be able to have good enough starting corners, I think, in the NFL. I would not mind finding a long-term solution to Patrick Peterson if the opportunity presented itself. But I, I kind of agree with you as far as the way that the team is being built. It's like we, a lot of those guys are going to go in the first round and then early second. Cardinals usually have not been picking that high where they've had a corner fell. Even Josh Jackson didn't fall to them. Uh, I believe it was either Josh Jackson, I think it was Christian Kirk went, and then, I don't know, it was Isaiah um, – as last year, at least with Isaiah, who went to the uh, Falcons, at least with that one, they go early. That's just how it is. Corner is very difficult because you essentially have to be able to have all the different types of measurables like a wide receiver, but you're so much more reactive and change of pace. Whereas a wide receiver, you're the one dictating the cornerback. It makes it an easier position to play. Corners, you're just so reactive, have to have that and the ball skills. And the other thing is run defense is fascinating because I don't know if Reedy Williams, as far as a lot of people have questioned, you know, if he's a liability in the run game. I don't know if it's Jeremy Lane style of liability, but it'll be interesting to see if he's going to be more of like looking at Antonio Cromartie or even like a Dominique Rogers Cromartie, um, you know, with, versus like with Patrick Peterson. He's such a well-rounded player that if teams don't run at him, because he's going to be able to just hold down that side very well. He improved even especially, I think, at least whether it was blitzing off of the edge with Wilkes this last year or against the run, which is crazy. Now, maybe you end up looking at a guy, like, if there is one and starting at round three, I agree, John, like with Trayvon or, you know, looking at a, one of the guys. If Greedy's there at 33, that'll be fascinating because that would be very different from what I would expect. I think that he's a guy who is going to have that same profile. Some team is going to say, look, let's not overthink this. We'll take him here. He'll probably go in, like, the top 15 picks or won't slide out of the top 20. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't see that being the case, at least in the most part. But I will say this. I do think the Byron Murphy overall – might end up being this year like Denzel Ward. I don't think he's going to go top five like Denzel Ward did, but I could see if there's a team that's looking for a corner, at least it's picking in the top 10. What is it really that, you know, Greedy does that's, you know, as far as Byron that's better for the most part? I think some cases it's like ceiling higher and just the way that he covers. I love Greedy as far as a cover man, but as far as what the NFL wants with guys who are able to kind of have this hyper athleticism, make plays on the ball and be able to make plays in the run game too. Byron just kind of checks every one of those boxes and he's 5'10 for the most part. He's a little, he's obviously smaller than greedy is as far as that one, just still a pretty lanky guy. I could see Byron being kind of because of the athleticism testing that he had and all of those other pieces. 
I think some team maybe was like, all right, yeah, Byron's that guy. He, he's like Denzel Ward last year. Take him as a top 10. He'll be on the outside. You won't have to have any type of questions that you might with Greedy, whereas Greedy might be, you know, a guy who comes in. And then over time, maybe the run game isn't there, but he ends up becoming this weapon that you can use as this kind of top LSU corner who throw at him and there it goes back the other way. <laughs> this might be exactly what you're looking at with Greedy. Uh, I think both of those guys will go high. Uh, Rocky Sin will be interesting. I've heard some people said that they think he goes as high as the first. Some who say he goes as low as maybe mid-second round. He seemed to impress overall at the combine and put up some great athleticism. Um, and then, yeah, with, between the guys after that, it'd be like between the Lonnie Johnsons and the Trayvon Mullins, at least. Um, Julian Love is a little bit intriguing. I, I think that he's a guy who probably is either it's, – it's one of those weird aspects of either he gets overdrafted or um, he's – overdrafted or underdrafted like it's, it's one or the other like he's not going to go where his value is because he's a corner someone's either going to go too high on him or he's going to fall in the draft to that spot where someone's going to get a steal um but yeah that, that's kind of i think john what you're talking about is doesn't seem like the cardinals unless the opportunity presents itself are really going to focus on corner i think that when we're going to be got, talking with next week on the offensive side of the football it's going to be a lot more interesting as far as you know the, the players that we think the Cardinals are going to pursue and it's going to kind of come down to how they lay out their board, what they're looking for. Essentially, you're going to have to say, Hey, we're willing to pass on an offense lineman because this is a cornerback that is just too good to pass up. Yeah. And I think there's only one or two guys that that scenario is relevant toward. Um, and even in that case, you know, I have a hard time passing on a quality interior offensive lineman or a potential stud at an outside receiver over a cornerback at this point. And I just, I don't think that argument is valid in the sense that well, I think there are, it's a really good offensive line class. It, it may not be top heavy. It certainly is not in the, in the first 10 to 12 picks, but man, you get to the, the latter half of the first round early on day two, get some really interesting and quality players that are going to be available. And from what I'm hearing and Daniel Jeremiah posted this today that you know, he, he could see only one or two receivers going in the first round. Yeah. So you're talking about, a slew of quality players that are going to be available available for the Arizona Cardinals at positions of need at the top of the second round. So to me, it just part of this is the Murray factor where we haven't gotten to talk enough about the draft and intrigue because it's been so dominated, not only with okay. Murray, but it's now it's a foregone conclusion with Murray. Whereas at least with the Quinn and Williams, Nick Bosa intrigue, we could talk about, there was a real chance, I think early on in this process, that they could have taken Quinn and Williams over Nick Bosa, yeah. that Steve, Steve Kime liked Quinn and Williams over Nick Bosa. Like we could, we could have that constructive argument. We could also have the argument that the Oakland Raiders or, or the, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars before Nick Foles or the Giants or whomever was going to trade up. And the Cardinals had options if they were to trade down. Because it's been so dominated by the Kyler Murray talk, we haven't, and we apologize, we haven't gotten to dive into a lot of these players because it's just, it's not relevant because the Cardinals are going to take Kyler Murray and they're, they're going to watch 31 or 32, let's do my math correctly, 32, 31 quality players go by before they're able to pick again, assuming they don't trade up. So, um, um, you know, I would love to have Byron Murphy or Devin Bush or, DK Metcalf or Andre Dillard or a lot of these quality players, you know, we talked about all the defensive ends. It's a great defensive end class, but it's just not in the cards. And so we're talking about potential options that are going to be able, available to start a day two. And for a team like Arizona, I, I think that they're, they're going to be some good ones, Blake. Yep, I, I think I'd agree with you, Elias. And that'll kind of, I think, um, I just did a double check. And yes, the team did meet with Darnell Savage at safety. So that'll be just kind of another name to 
keep in mind potentially later, maybe if it is on day three. But yeah, that'll kind of wrap it up for our defensive preview. It's a bit strange, John, because I know normally when we started this whole offseason process, we thought that it was going to be more of like week in and week out focusing on Bosa or Williams. Yeah, we were, Bosa or we're really excited. Hey, we're gonna go, is it going to be Bosa or Allen? Bosa or Allen? Oh, Brian Burns is coming up there. Okay, well, maybe you trade back to four with the Raiders. And then is it Allen or is it Burns? Do you have one ranked out? Like, who's going to be that guy? And then looking at, oh, well, Chandler Jones' contract is up here. You're bringing in Bosa along this time. And all of that was kind of the idea. And then a lot of that just completely changed. And so uh, <laughs> that's kind of going to be like our little kind of warning bell for winter ring. If you're kind of someone who's like, you know, sick of a lot of the Kyler content, a lot of that. We are going to go over some of that news, at least for that one, just with what's been going on, kind of some of what we're also been hearing, at least a little bit for some of that for you fans. A lot of it is just coming down to the uh, fact that, you know, John, this is really getting into the, the crunch time. There's about uh, just over about by the time this podcast will launch. It's going to be two weeks until the draft. And this is where, the you know, probably about a day or two out from, the press conference of Steve Kine and Cliff Kingsbury, maybe even Michael Bidwell walking out saying if they finalized their top 120 board and ready for the draft. And then here we go. It'll be that time of year again. And uh, it'll be, uh, they can point it out, it'll be fascinating if the exact tenure of Josh Rosen's stay with the Cardinals is the exact length of time in between Avengers movies. I can't imagine of how like anyone last year would have imagined that that would have possibly been the case of like, hey, how long did Rosen stay? How long did stay on the roster? Well, uh, well, you know, the Avengers movie came out, Thanos snapped his fingers, and then when they undid the snap, boom, Rosen was gone. It's like, okay, so but let's go a little bit there, because John, I know that was something where we talked at least as far as we've just been kind of hunting and packing. Some of it is we've kind of been of the opinion that this is this is probably going to happen. We're kind of a little bit more in like, if we're going from the 95 to more of like the 99.9% camp, I think. And it's not just the national news of the pundits or the other stuff. It's like, it seems like a lot of people are like, Oh, we're talking to sources, talking to this places. A lot of people are still questioning like, Hey, like Cardinals pulling wool over everyone's eyes. It's almost gotten to the point where because it's so overwhelming, a lot of fans I talked to are like, Hey, I hope that they don't take Kyler Murray because I'm sick of them talking about it. And I'd love to just sit back and laugh at everyone around on draft day or be able to pull one of those, like, you know, you know, the Baker Mayfields where you were the team person who supported Baker. Everyone thought you were taking Josh Allen or something instead for months. And then boom, pull the rug out from under your feet. And uh, I, I think it's over time. It's just becoming more of not just what we're hearing soon, but it's also kind of seemingly like it's almost a logical decision as much as that may seem for a lot of fans to be is illogical it's like I think some of it is just the more I'm looking into it's like it almost kind of does make sense in some cases at least given what you know we saw last year with Rose and what we're seeing with Murray and for the way the team is currently built you know there's no other position on the field that can make up as many wins as a quarterback candidate. If you're Steve Kime and you feel like this is potentially an upgrade, and that's one of the things that there's someone who like, you know, sent a message to me saying, Hey, like just letting you know, and this is something where it's like, I don't know the source personally for that one, at least that was given to by a friend, but if they believe the Cardinals have Kyler Murray ranked ahead of where they had Josh Rosen last year, which it's actually plausible. They had Rosen as, you know, the fourth quarterback drafted last year for that one. I know you and I talked about stuff. It was probably likely that he may have been behind Josh Allen and behind Baker Mayfield, at least. And we're not sure of where it was with Sam Darnold with where the Cardinals were on him, but it seems like it is possible at least that this is going to be starting to kind of more come to fruition. And it's almost like a lot of fans are kind of bracing themselves for the next two weeks. And the other half of fans are just like, I'm, I don't care if it's Kyler. I don't care if it's Josh, get, get the hell over with so I can turn on game of Thrones so I can know the pick and then just, you know, get to the rest of the month, at least John. So I, what are some of the things that you at least are, as we're kind of entering this process and we kind of wrap it up tonight with a bit of talk about where the Cardinals are at here with this spot and all of Kyler mania coming to its conclusion. 
Yeah, I think we're both in the, on the same page. They are going to take Kyler Murray. We are fairly confident in that. It's been growing. Our confidence in that has been growing week to week. Everybody that, that we seem to message with and talk to has said the same. And I think now the question becomes not are they going to take Kyler Murray, but what kind of compensation are they going to get for Josh Rosen? Um, when is Josh Rosen going to be traded? I think I was incorrect. I, I never thought we'd get to this point with Rosen still on the roster. And still I in the building. They, right, absolutely. <laughs> I never thought that they would open up off-season team activities and workouts with Rosen in the building and then host Kyler Murray. That's exactly what they're doing. They are not making Josh Rosen available to the media, and they're courting Kyler Murray and his agent, which is not common. His agent was in Arizona. Do not let anybody else tell you otherwise. They are with Kyler Murray's agent and Kyler Murray while Josh Rosen is leading off-season workouts for the Cardinals. That, to me, is bizarre. I don't really love the optics on that. I think it's a little bit disrespectful. But at the end of the day, the NFL is a business, and it's a shrewd business. And so now if you, if, you, if you move on from that and say, when do you think Rosen's getting dealt? I think we've made it to April 10th. I think, I think they're going to hold this out until either the night before the draft or the morning of the draft, and they'll mm-hmm. get it done. I, I think it's too dicey to wait until the, when the draft begins. But I've been wrong multiple times already. That could happen. But I, I just think for the delay for the, from the league, I think Roger Goodell has absolutely been in touch with the Arizona Cardinals and saying, let's pull this out. I, I think the Cardinals have a general sense of what they're going to get for Rosen. I think they know the team or teams that are interested and have probably the best offers on their table. Colin Coward came out and said that he's, he knows three teams have already offered their second-round pick. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy to think otherwise. But here's what I'd say. Last year, like you mentioned, it came out probably early afternoon that Baker Mayfield was going to be the first pick, that Chris Mortensen had its source. I think we're going to see a similar scenario in which Schefter, Mort, Rappaport, somebody, one of the big-time Mark Gallifalo or Mike Gallifalo of the NFL Network, somebody like that is going to come out either the night before or the morning of the NFL draft and say Josh Rosen has been traded to the Redskins or the Giants or the Chargers or the Patriots for X compensation. And then you're going to see Kyler Murray be picked first overall. And then I think you're going to see, I'm pretty confident in this, Kyler Murray's contract get done by either the end of the draft weekend or early the next week by the time the press conference is up and running. Now that's some news to break for everyone listening here, guys. (laughs) In my opinion, based on what I'm hearing, they are not going to drag this out, especially with the Oakland A's and Kyler Murray's back pocket. They want to get this done. So there's, I, I would think, so there's a positive spin on this. So it's not a dark cloud. You can participate in certain off season aspects if you're a rookie, but I think that they've been working on this for a little while with Kyler Murray to get this contract done. So it's ironclad. So they have multiple outs if he ever decides he wants to go back to Major League Baseball. And to control, at least for the most part, of, hey, no, you're, you're not going back to Major League Baseball. They want everything with his rights. That's absolutely right. And so I think that they're going to have that puppy done sooner than, than you've seen in recent memory for the first overall pick. Um, that's just what I'm hearing right now, but I have no idea 
I've stopped guessing as to when they're going to trade <laughs> Josh Rosen because, yeah. frankly, I, I'm shocked it got to this point. Here's another point, really, I want to make, Blake. I cannot see a scenario in which Kyler Murray agrees to go to Arizona while Josh Rosen is still on the team. I do not see a scenario in which he and his father agree and accept Arizona's contract while Josh Rosen is still a member of the Arizona Cardinal. I saw reports today that the Cardinals may keep Rosen through the draft weekend. If, if they do that, they will have a holdout on their hands. Kyler Murray is ready to be crowned the king of Phoenix. He is ready to be the, the key holder for this franchise. He does not want and, – and you could say this is right or wrong. I'm not saying you, you would be incorrect in either assessment. I'm just telling you, Kyler Murray does not want Josh Rosen with the Arizona Cardinals. His fan – or excuse me, his family does not want that. His entourage does not want that. I they are going that. to – they were they, – yeah, exactly. Especially when you know the fan base could be divided and is divided. They are going to move Josh Rosen before or during the draft. I cannot see a scenario in which he is on the team post-draft. No, that wouldn't make any sense either because all of a sudden, hey, we drafted you number one overall. Oh, we'll move Josh. Josh is still on the roster in training camp. Hey, guys, oh, no, it's all right. You'll just be competing with him. All of a sudden, you've got a split locker room of everyone who knows. People are like, hey, like, I don't think we should have drafted Kyle. I think I was fine with Josh. It was just like how it was last year with Sam Bradford with people who – were in the locker room split on the move from Sam Bradford to Josh Rosen because they wanted a veteran. Sam had won the camp. It was easy to see, at least as I said, that when he got to on the field, Sam just, you're like, yeah, he's, he's done. He shot. I think there's a lot of people who still felt those. Once you kind of moved to the rookie, you gave up on the team. I think some fans are kind of questioning that where I think a lot of people wanted to trade back because the idea behind what fans I think people wanted was they wanted this team to compete this year. If you're taking a rookie and starting him, it doesn't feel like you're going to be competing versus if you trade back, fill in maybe four or five different needs and maybe you're still not competing as much. But I think that's what a lot of the fans wanted was, you know, put together a product on the field that's going to be winning for this year for a lot of the veterans, for people like Peterson, Fitz, Chandler. And maybe when you bring in and have a better quarterback option, the way Cliff runs it with a lot of the mobility, like we talked about how, a lot of times that can lead to more wins. Like we've seen running quarterbacks like Dak Prescott in his first year, I believe had an 11 win season essentially with a strong running game, solid play calling. And the fact that he was able just to take off because no one had film on him. No one even expected him to start the start the foot with the football that season. So um, that's going to be kind of the one thing I would say that where I'd agree with is that you can't have any type of locker room split. That would be kind of the biggest thing. And then afterwards you're still going to have fans that are split. And I would agree with you. The Cardinals left to tell, Kylan Murray's agent and family, hey, like, don't worry, we've got our deal for Rosen, we'll take this. And that's where at some point a lot of fans are going to have to accept you're not going to get a first for Josh because you're putting yourself into the situation and accepting, like, we have to take a hit on this. It's like, in other words, you, you know, sign over your business and you bring in a third partner. Um, that third partner all of a sudden ends up kind of just tanking, at least for a lot of stuff. It just doesn't work out. You invested this type of paycheck. You're like, fine, we have to part ways with you. And we have to give you some severance pay because that's what we have to do. You have to sometimes be willing to kind of take that hit to be able to move on if you feel like it is going to be, you know, the best option for your future and your franchise. And it's, it's not even necessarily a huge smack against Rosen. I know there's been questions like there's maybe some doubts that have been there. I still firmly believe that he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and that he can be. Um, there's, you know, I think questions that a lot of people are still having about him after that first year about, you know, where Bradford beat him out on some other areas, but I still don't feel like my confidence in him is 
wavered whatsoever. I don't think it has for a lot of fans, but yeah, I would, I would agree with you, John. It, it just seems like it's lined up. And uh, another point on this, as far as with um, the contract coming out quickly, uh, if you're a team with the number one pick and you know who you're going to take, you do have the rights to start negotiating the contract early. So that's part of why I think as soon as like it's drafted, it might get done very, very quickly. It's not afforded for the number two, number three, or any other team. There's uh, used to be a rule where because Kyler was being drafted in the major leagues, essentially that some people thought the Cardinals might have said, hey, like we'll just take him at number one. We can start, you know, like – having a negotiation, have everything done before he was drafted. But that rule was like an ancient one that had been changed up for a lot of people, at least for the most part. So now it's just going to be more focusing on the nitty gritty of, Hey, like, you know, we're going to make sure that we can push and leverage this as much as possible. You remember with Steve Kime with the Tyron Matthew deal, Tyron got paid was the second highest paid safety, but Kime gave himself an out in two years. He took advantage of that out as we all well know, it would be very difficult for me to see where Steve Kime would let up any of that leverage. And yeah, I, I think that the thing I want to shift to now, John, for the rest of our time is what are we kind of looking at as far as the compensation for Josh Rosen? Let's look at maybe the ceiling, what would be kind of the floor and what then would the Cardinals kind of be looking at to do with, with one or two of those picks. Cause I think that's going to be the biggest question I have is, are you looking at picks now picks later? Are you going to be, you know, trying to add more on the offensive side? Is this a spot where you, what are some of your thoughts at least that you would have on whether you, what you hear, what you see or some of that on compensation for Josh Rosen, what would you think that Josh would be worth? Well, I think he's worth a first round pick and I, I, I have a hard stance on that. I think that even with getting his brains beat in last year, I think he showed enough I think he's cheap enough uh, based on the Cardinals already paying his bonus. I think you could get three really good seasons from him in terms of low uh, cost. Obviously could get that fifth year option still very much in play. And then you talk about the fact that, you know, the Cardinals gave up a third and a fifth to get him. And so anything outside of that on top of a top 10 pick, they're going to be losing value. So I think that people equate it to saying, well, they're getting a first round pick back. That's an overpay. It's not an overpay. Everybody assumed Josh Rosen was a top 10 player last year. In my opinion, excuse me, a top 10 player in terms of, of, of a draft prospect. Now he was because the Cardinals drafted him, but certain teams have an agenda. I think a lot of, I think what hurts the Cardinals is not as many teams are looking for a quarterback than they were last year, or even two years ago. Right. I think Josh Rosen was available to an Arizona Cardinal team with Carson Palmer uh, in the mix. They'd be all over it a couple years ago. Um, it's just a unique situation. And so you have to kind of read between the lines. I still think at the end of the day, I think that 15 is in play with Washington. I think 17 is in play with Washington. If the Cardinals, if Kime are able to drum up enough interest, I think 32 is, is in play for the Patriots. I think 28 is in play for the Chargers. I don't think any of those are likely. I think you probably put a, mm -hmm. a grade of maybe 10% on each of those. I think that the, the more likely scenario for the Arizona Cardinals is settling, and I say settling, on a second-round pick and an additional pick in the 2020 draft, probably based on something like playing time. I could see a scenario in which the Cardinals get the – or excuse me, get the Redskins pick. Mm -hmm. I believe it's pick – what is it, pick 46 or 47? 46 top 50 pick which that's one nope. thing you want to make sure that is because when we were talking earlier we heard third round pick compensation for josh rose all these teams are jumping all over that and you were like the one pushing back saying no no he's, he's would, worth more than he's a first i would be shocked i would be yeah. shocked if they got anything less than a, than a second i've been shocked all off season so it wouldn't be new <laughs> but i would be i would be vehemently ill and sick to my stomach if they got anything less to a second 
And so, yes, if you're talking about Washington, I, I think they remain probably the most likely destination. I think pick 46 you could talk about, and you could also talk about a potential 2023rd round pick that could eventually become a second round pick next year based on playing time. If he's able to beat out Case Keenum, if he's able to produce, maybe let's say if he starts over 12 games and throws for X amount of yards or something like that, or takes so many snaps, um, I think that, that those are scenarios in which are, are, are most likely for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I think worst case scenario, you just mentioned it, Blake. Outside of not being able to trade him at all, and you've got both of them in camp, which they'll, I think, they'll take something. I think that yeah. would be the case for that one. It would just, I think we're. I, I don't. I don't know how if you're Steve Kime, you survive trading Josh Rosen for a third. Then again, he, he survived in more ways than one an extreme DUI, and then he is back this year with a new coach after a one and done coach. So I mean, to me, it's just if you're Michael Bidwell, how can you face? 31 other owners after dealing away Josh Rosen for a mere third round pick, especially if Rosen goes on to have success. We've talked about it time and time again. We are discounting Rosen's ability to go somewhere else and produce and kick butt for the next 10 years, which could very well happen. Now, if he goes to Washington, I think he is similar to that of Kirk Cousins. And we know that Washington is as dysfunctional, if not more than the Arizona Cardinals. So you'd figure his, his success could be limited. But goodness, if he goes to the Chargers with their loaded roster in New England with Bill Belichick, you know, even with the Giants historically have been a competent NFL franchise, they've improved their offensive line. They've got Saquon Barkley. I could see him doing good things there. But regardless, you can't be worried about that. And I think that's one of the common things. You know, I get, I get asked a lot on Twitter, like, would you be afraid about trading him to Team X? I mean, outside of trading him within your division, which I wouldn't recommend doing, and I don't think there's a taker anyway. Can't be afraid to trade him anywhere. You just got to take the best package. Learn from what the Giants just did with Odell Beckham when they had potentially better offers in the NFC, specifically with the San Francisco 49ers offering them maybe even pick number two. And Dave Gettleman traded him <clears throat> out of the conference because he has low self-esteem. The Giants right now as a franchise have low self-esteem. You can't worry about that. You have to worry about your own success as a franchise. Get the highest, best possible package you can get for Josh Rosen, no matter if it's a team in the NFC that you might have to play consistently. You have to do what's best for you. And I think the Cardinals, at the end of the day, Kime knows that, I, I would hope. And I think he's going to end up getting a second-round pick. I don't know which which realm. It would be excellent if he's able to, to parlay this into the Giants. You know, the Giants have been connected to just about every quarterback. I don't know what to believe about the Giants. I do know based on the fan backlash with Beckham, I do see them acquiring a quarterback at this point. I think the Eli stuff is smoke. I think this is his last year. I think they've had conversations with him about that. I wouldn't believe anything at this point anybody says about these quarterbacks. And I do think based on everything that I hear from from a, a lot of these national draft media experts, where they a lot of them have said that Rosen is the best player if he was coming out in this draft, yeah. even with his rookie tape, then how are you going to tell me, that he, especially with his bonus paid, that he's not worth a top 50 pick? You can't. That's why it's, it's impossible for me to believe that they are. Like Bill Belichick would give you, and I, 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 I feel I, I would almost put my mortgage on this, Bill Belichick would give you the last pick of the second round for Josh Rosen. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind, if he's willing to spend a high second round pick on Jimmy Garoppolo, who is not one-tenth of the prospect Rosen was coming out, you may argue he's a better player now, 
But Rosen was a blue chip player coming out last year from UCLA. Garoppolo came from Northern Illinois and was probably a little bit overdrafted at the time. I, I would be shocked if the Cardinals do not get a second round pick. And I think that's what they end up getting, Blake. Yep. Yeah, I think it's also the spot that makes the most amount of sense because when you're talking about what teams need quarterbacks, we saw, you know, three first round quarterbacks go and then plus Garoppolo get moved to a new team for that in 2017. And we saw five first round quarterbacks last year. So that's already a a quarter of the league, if not just a little over a quarter of the league that was there, not even counting the old aging quarterbacks that are still sticking around with Ben Rivers, Brady, um, even like you can say Matt Ryan's up there. Cam Newton's almost 30 now, which is kind of crazy for that. That'd be an interesting spot for a team uh, that'd be looking for one. There's also other guys like Will Grier. I, I think Daniel Jones seems to be the guy who will end up at some point in with New York. Although, unless you want to believe the kind of rumors about Russell Wilson, which would be like, if you want to talk about team chaos, that would be kind of the craziest amount of team chaos ever. When uh, I think I saw my favorite, uh, I think I called it like the if Jason Lockenforo was making a Madden trade. Essentially, it was like a three team trade where the Giants got Russell Wilson, the Cardinals got picks six and 17, and the Seahawks got the number one pick and took Kyla Murray. And you're like, what? Is, what are you? It was just one of those things of like someone just kind of like said, hey, I'm going to make this kind of crazy mock draft for that. Now, that would be interesting if that's kind of been some of the Giants, you know, have heard whispers and rumors. And that's part of why they're playing at Koi. But I agree with you is that there's no way Russ is going to be you know, leaving Seattle just because he's, you know, you don't let a top five quarterback go. Even if you're Pete Carroll and decide to make a run first team out of it, you don't let that happen. So I think that it is going to be a guy like Jones would probably be more favorable for the Giants in the first round since they'll be able to kind of take him in, do their own development versus looking at him last year with Rosen, although yeah, maybe, maybe their grade on Rosen was higher. Maybe you could see if you could get pick 37 out of them. Um, I know that uh, there's some other things as far as some people have followed along with um, Evan Silva's, uh, I think he called it the shadow GM, all of that that he's gone through where he kind of has his whole, it's, it's a little conspiracy theory, but a little bit is kind of hard to ignore when a lot of what Mike Francesca talks about on the radio is like, he'll share opinions about players and other items. And then all of a sudden the giants will kind of follow in suit a couple of months later, like with Odo Beckham jr. And then you also talk about with a lot of keeping Eli in play for the next two or three years. It's just interesting. And, you know, he was a guy who did not like Rosen at all coming out, thought he was a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a uh, entitled guy, at least kind of that typical millennial argument. And I think that because of the David Cutcliffe uh, connection that the that'll be where the Giants go. Patriots, I think, maybe end up with like a Will Grier or someone. It'll be interesting to me if the Patriots, you know, Dangle decided they would give up pick 32. I think that the deal would have been done by now because the market would have just built up so much more. Um, the one that will be interesting to watch is the Chargers. If the Redskins need a quarterback badly, and because of the Alex Smith deal, it makes way too much sense with the Dolphins likely tanking and the fact that that, that Smith deal, they'd have to pay $6 million for a quarterback for the next three years. That would be a lot cheaper than drafting any quarterback back at 15 having to pay that signing bonus and having all the tightness so to me it just makes way too much sense for the Redskins to do I think right now they're kind of just more trying to see if they could take advantage they're even meeting with Kyler Murray which I saw some fans were like oh wait he met with Arizona it's not a done deal like why is he going to Washington it's like well probably because they're gonna make the tour to a lot of the different teams and Washington is probably gonna end up like asking him straight up like hey like can we tell if you know he's going number one to the Cardinals and if he's going to introduce to his new teammate to Case Keenum yeah, when Keenum gets traded yeah, to the exactly. Cardinals? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting because if Keenum gets traded to the Cardinals, it'll be interesting with how that will work with the contract. I still kind of have an interesting kind of theory where I wonder if Case Keenum 
is going to be an Arizona Cardinal, but it's not going to be in 2019 because he's a free agent after this year. You don't have to pay like, you know, the rest of the bonus that they kind of took on from Denver. Brett Hundley was a guy who was right behind, you know, with Tom Clements. If that deal gets done and Keenum is part of the deal for that one, that would probably make a lot of Cardinals fans happy to at least get, you know, mentor someone who knows Cliff. But I think that, you know, Brett Hundley's here on a one-year deal. I think Keenum's a, might be a Cardinal next year potentially regardless, maybe he ends up going right to Arizona. So we'll, we'll see how it all works out. But I would kind of agree with you, John. I think even if for me, if you get a third round pick, I feel like I'll be disappointed. If you get a late second, like from the chargers, I would want to have something more additional behind it. Like maybe you could even say, oh, okay, chargers threw in a fourth. It's a little bit lower a fourth, but they did, they threw in a fourth round pick this year. Maybe then I could say, okay, I could use that fourth round pick. I could then trade up from where I'm at with my second round pick into that top 15 range. Okay. So essentially I get a top 50 pick no matter what for Josh Rose then because I can just use that fourth right up as trade leverage. Okay, that's something or maybe it's a similar spot. Then I can just go back over to the Redskins and be like, hey, so they're going to offer us a pick this year. You guys want to up that offer to a pick this year? That would be, I think, the hope is that Steve Kime could be able to kind of push a little bit of this market and maybe even if you can get the Redskins to bid a little bit against themselves would be kind of fun. But that would be my whole idea. And it's tough to talk about because, like, you know, as I've, I've talked about this, I think it either some either it's DMs or even some tweets because of everything where we were talking about like, you know, we've got stuff where we were both like jumping up and down when the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen. We were like espousing like how excited we were that the Cardinals had a quarterback. It was a rough rookie year, but we still saw a lot of potential for him. It just kind of feels like you were told that, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. It's kind of how it feels like where it's like all this buildup that we had. It's like, no, I'm trying to like defend, push through. And I think that's kind of where it's an emotional experience that I think we're all having to kind of go through as fans. And some of us are, you know, adapting to it quicker than others. Some people, I know some fans are going to be so upset about it like that they're going to be like maybe having protest signs for that one and hopefully that won't be the case uh, just because Kyler is still a really great strong upstanding young man for the most part who by all accounts did show a lot of leadership in Oklahoma having to take over for a Baker Mayfield we saw just how tough it is for you know almost every quarterback when they go number one overall for the following guy and he goes out and wins the Heisman a second year in a row two Heisman winners two years in a row number one pick same school John that is just incredible and it shows kind of how far this whole spread offense and air raid and all these newfangled college concepts how how they really have gone yeah the one thing that makes me nervous is Baker Mayfield did it uh several several years prior this is true Uh, Kyler's got one year experience now you can go back and say that Kyler was a standout high school player he's probably one of the best high school players in the history of the state of Texas um, Texas football, he was multiple-time high school player of the year, never lost a game at that level, came in and had some concerns um, at the collegiate level, predominantly based on size, coincidentally, that led him to Oklahoma, <laughs> that led him to Lincoln Riley. And baseball was traditionally his, his first love or his passion, what he thought he was better at. So you could probably spin it to the, to the sense that maybe he just wasn't given a fair opportunity early on and I know he was heavily recruited, but was he heavily recruited to play quarterback for the, the kind of traditional powers that he wanted? You know, I think that remains to be seen. But as far as, you know, his first year as a full-time starter, he nailed the audition. And I think at the end of the day, we need to stop probably comparing him to Baker Mayfield, although that's, that's going to be difficult because they have the same alma mater. They won uh, Heisman seasons and consecutive seasons. Um, they had the same coach, but they really play the game differently. Uh, I, Baker Mayfield just excels at that intermediate passing game, so deadly. 
um, can can carve you up in multitude of ways. Kyler Murray is just really a big play machine. Um, now, that's not to say he doesn't have a quality completion percentage. He does upwards of almost 70 last year. But he's such a threat to score. And this is where I'll give him credit on any play at any time. I'm not sure you can say the same thing about Baker Mayfield. But I think Baker's game translates a little bit better to the next level. We'll have to see how Kyler does specifically in a league that's not predominantly very boom or bust. But I think with Kyle, Kyler's ability to extend plays, I really do think that one of his, his best comps is Deshaun Watson. Not necessarily in the game that he plays, but just kind of the style of the NFL moving forward. And we've seen Deshaun have so much success early on, especially in his rookie season. You remember how good he was, and he was a little bit hampered this past season rehabbing from the ACL, I think Kyler has, has a chance to be a similar type of player. And I think he's a better athlete than Deshaun. But I do think Deshaun is a much more polished pocket passer. And, and that's helped him exponentially at the NFL level. So, uh, you know, it's I, I really can't – it's hard for me to get excited about – and this, is, this isn't fair to Kyler, and I try to separate the two. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to get excited – about Kyler until number one, Josh Rosen is dealt officially. Mm-hmm. And, and I know what compensation the Cardinals are getting for Rosen because it's going to be so hard to stomach if they don't end up getting a top 40, a top 50 pick in return and maybe an additional pick because I can conceptualize a lot of different scenarios in my head. But if we're standing there on draft day and they take Murray first overall, and I have to watch Nick Bosa go to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I have to watch Quinn and Williams go to you know Oakland or whomever, and then I, I'm holding you know pick 78 or 84 for Josh Rosen, and I'm watching the other team celebrate, you know, just fleecing the Cardinals in the process, it's going to be hard for me to get excited. Now that'll change over the course of OTAs or whatever, but in the short term, I, I think that. The, the success, or excuse me, the excitement around, around Murray for the most part is is on hold from a lot of the Cardinal fans that I interact with online until right. they see what goes on with with um, with Josh Rosen in that pick. Because if you're able to imagine if this scenario takes place, you're able to get for Josh Rosen pick 37, and you draft Nikhil Harry pick 37. I mean, can you imagine the kind of you know out not outcry? But, you know, jubilation from Cardinal fans. Not only you get a position of need, but you get a local product that everybody watched play in the Valley that is incredibly high character that can come in and immediately develop a rapport with Kyler. I mean, no matter what happens with Rosen, you know, those two are going to be paired together. And he's got, you know, Valley ties and he's somebody – I would – almost put it on par with taking somebody like Hollywood Brown, who has a rapport with Kyler, who's the best big play wide receiver in this class. If you're able to do something like that with the Rosen pick, now I'm not talking pick 33. I'm talking with the Rosen pick. I think that immediately helps the fan base come to grips with the decision and they can move on. I also think it'll be easier for the Cardinal fan base to move on from Rosen. If he goes to a place that already has a starter in place, if he goes to, if he goes to, uh, you know, LA chargers, a New England to a lesser extent, and they don't see him play right away, right? And it's up in the air, his status. And then Murray goes out and immediately lights the world on fire as a rookie. It's not going to matter. So I, I, I think that we've got 13 more days of speculation, and it's it's too bad because you and I wanted to do a mock draft of, you know, the Cardinals' first, you know, day one, day two picks, mm-hmm. and it's it's not really in the cards because we don't know what the compensation is for Murray and at this point, we really would be guessing. It's not great content for us. It's not great content for you guys. And it's frustrating at the same time because 
I love that sweet spot of day two where, yep. where you're talking about picks 33 to picks, you know, 50 or whatever. And there's a lot of great first round caliber players. They got Christian Kirk available. last year there. And look what he did his first year. Yeah, I like never thought he'd be available. Arguably the second best wide receiver of that rookie year. And you're like talking about on a terrible 32nd ranked offense yeah. for all of that. And then Jody could play outside. My end up being like, you know, and what's interesting now is also Kirk is like, you know, the guy who caught, like, I think it was like a thousand yards or something from like, and I think it was Murray's first collegiate touchdown passer essentially was to Christian Kirk oddly enough. So it's like, you're almost like assembling, like if you drafted Hollywood Brown, Oh my gosh, that would be like the whole, like Kyla Murray, like revenge tour of with him, with Kirk and even with Ricky Seals Jones. And yeah. it's just kind of interesting as far as with how each of the spots we'll, we'll talk. I know a lot next week, a lot more on, uh, the offensive players, offensive prospects will be bringing a guest as well for another uh, kind of a special podcast for that one. So that's going to be a lot of fun. At least that we'll be able to put forward for that folks. And ultimately I think when you're right and you're talking about the Deshaun Watson comparison, I think just looking at some of the numbers that it does seem like Murray kind of compares a bit more to whether it's Watson. I think the arm is a bit stronger. It's almost kind of reminds me of if you could kind of put a little bit of Watson in, Maybe even a little bit of Mahomes. The biggest difference, obviously, though, being Kyler Murray's legs. Like Deshaun Watson in that title game, it was interesting. He did ultimately improve from one year to the next, where he ended up improving as far as, you know, went from like 400 to I think it was like 420 yards. And then he rushed 20 times for 73 yards, whereas Kyler, he rushed 17 for 109. When you look at that, essentially, Kyler Murray, every time he took off, doubled the number of yards against Bama that Deshaun Watson got. And he did struggle where there was a lot more incompletions for that one. And honestly, the thing it reminded me of when I went back and watched the tape of both of them again, it reminded me a lot of in this bowl game that he played, I believe it was in 2015, Pat Mahomes went up against uh, LSU's defense. He completed about half of his passes for that one, but he still had four touchdowns. He threw one pick. He took a lot of sacks rushing because he ended up like, you know, taking off, took a few sacks. But overall, it's just a spot of even though the completions kind of went down, he still kind of in the second half turned on, made a lot of those plays. And some of it turned into garbage time, whereas, you know, Murray didn't. But it was just an interesting kind of perspective to take a look and see, look, if the Cardinals are drafting Kyler Murray, he had one year starting. You're still going to be having to expect that he's going to have to have a coach who ultimately knows how to use an athlete like him, who's able to adapt to it, who's able to be flexible with that, and a coach who can also at the same time develop him like you saw Patrick Mahomes develop, like you even saw, like, you know, with Menzel Keenum and other players, at least in his scheme. And that at least is part of why I think a lot of people have put this whole Cliff Kingsbury stuff together is it's not, it's a negative on Josh Rosen. You adapt to Josh Rosen. I think if the Cardinals think that they, that Kyler Murray may be better than Josh Rosen personally, then that would be kind of the guy they would go and get and, you know, adapt to his strength. So I honestly think John, it'll be strange spot because it'll be an exciting time. Then there'll be more arguments and debate that will happen afterwards. And I think what will eventually settle in is once we can kind of get past this draft, a lot of fans will be able to kind of accept where the new norm is, be able to go in and hopefully Kyler can, you know, be an electric playmaker who can get the Cardinals a few more wins than maybe they might've taken a step forward just because of, the prospect and the player that Murray is, you know, maybe it's going to be a lot of the running and some of the lack of film. And ultimately we can kind of see a Cardinals team that I mean, it doesn't have to be a playoff team. I think obviously for fans to at least be content, but a team that is worth watching. And last year that was not true of the Arizona Cardinals. That team just bored you to tears at times. It was the worst watch that I remember watching as an NFL fan, not even for the Cardinals, but in general, I, I can't remember a, a more frustrating team to watch uh, uh, in all sh shapes and forms, and especially offensively, they were they were so depressing. So any time that I get frustrated with this Rosen Murray scenario, I just think back to all of those games last year that were just complete and other disasters. 
Yeah, I do quick. I do quickly want to remind everybody, too, especially at the top of day two of the draft. I mean, you remember – I remember talking to my dad last year, and he was a big Christian Kirk fan, and I'm like, there, there's no way the Cardinals are going to have an opportunity to take him at the top of the second, and he was there. I, I was infatuated with Will Hernandez, and I thought he was one of the better players in the draft. And you remember, he was one of the highest-rising prospects. Everybody thought he'd be the first guard taken. He didn't go until early day two. So the Cardinals are going to have – so many quality options available to them. I think it just makes it that much more of a priority that you're able to get some kind of day to mid, mid second compensation, early second compensation for Rosen. Because in actuality, I've said this from day one, a top 40 player it, to me is still the first round caliber player. Now it's not the 10th overall pick like Josh Rosen. You're not getting Ed Oliver in that scenario. You're not getting Brian Burns, which would be the equivalent of Rosen last year, but you're getting a player that you would hope. The top of the second, you're hoping that player is a longtime starter for you, and that would go a long way for a Cardinal team right now that needs a few of those players, Blake. Yep, absolutely agree. Well, that'll wrap it up for us, at least here on this podcast edition. A uh, mostly Murray free up until the end for all of that, at least. For, thank you guys for sticking yeah, sorry, it out for that one. Yeah, I know a lot of times it's like we appreciate it. We've had a lot of great people who've been starting to like reach out more of enlisting. It's been awesome to be able to see you guys there. Make sure that obviously, again, you're still listening uh, to the podcast, making sure that you can download it on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, Google Podcasts, Spotify Radio. We're also available on Stitcher as well as on the Revenge of the Birds website. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff. I'm still working, obviously, on my um, quarterback breakdowns that I have as far as the statistical. Just a little quick spoiler is not going to surprise anyone right now, but right now Kyler is the top quarterback that I've graded so far. I'm still working through with Haskins. We'll see if there's any other sleepers, and it'll be fun to compare to past years like Mahomes, Watson, and some of the others. So that will be kind of forthcoming for – uh, those of you folks who kind of follow that year in and year out. Uh, as we wrap up tonight, John, where can the uh, Twitter followers, <laughs> at least in the meantime, up until with, we'll see what goes on. I know that's going to be one of those big buildups that we'll have as far as with your Twitter account, since now we're, we're pretty sure that Murray's going number one. It's going to be something at least we'll have to kind of build up to that reveal, at least of that at for you, <laughs> at least since you made the uh, that promise at least all the way back in February. Hey, thanks for reminding everybody of that, Blake. Yeah, I am at Johnny's Football for the next two weeks. Uh, I, I'm going to change my handle. Uh, I'm going to keep the account in general because I like the account. And I like interacting with all of you, and it's good for the podcast. But that handle is money. I've had it for over 10 years. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, so I'm gifting it out to draft Twitter, football Twitter, whatever. <laughs> I'm changing it. Um, I'll let everybody know probably on uh, the recap show um in two weeks what that new handle is and then you'll see it you'll see it on twitter anyway regardless after the after the nfl draft or you could see it next week if in fact they trade rosen between now and then but uh, i don't anticipate i don't anticipate that being the case yes for the next 13 days um at least i am at johnny's football (laughs) yeah that'll be great uh two weeks left we really are i guess in that of all avengers end game now well thank you again for joining everyone at least for that one um take care and as always go cards